the blast from our past network. Hey, this is John Philbin from Return of the Living Dead, Children of the Corn, and the New Kids, and you're listening to Podcasting After Dark. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Deep Star 6, starring Greg Evigan, Nancy Everhard, and Miguel Ferrer. The year is 1989. Four underwater horror films compete to be the ultimate winner at the box office. Who will prevail? Who will be number one? Spoiler alert, none of them. Dude, perfect, man. That was awesome. Uh, what's up, everybody? Your old pal Corey here. That was that was Zach the Snack you just heard giving us that nice little intro. And guess what? None of them won. Well, you know what? Technically, Deep Star 6 actually is the only one that broke even. So we'll get into that in a second. Zach, my man, how are you doing, buddy? Well, first of all, that was my first foray into trailers. So uh, move over, Dustin Rubin. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. (laughs) I was going to say I was going to introduce myself as DeShafer. And you Shaver. were Stevenson, because Stevenson. everybody in this goes by the last name. I love you, McBride. <laughs> I love you, Tron lady. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, it's it's definitely has the the alien syndrome where they basically just write everybody as a last name and then probably insert you know the actor that's right for it. And because of it, I do think we got to see some strong female characters in this film. Um, But we'll get into that, obviously. I do want to talk about, really quick, the other three movies that came out that year. The underwater, quote-unquote, horror films. We say quote-unquote because one of them is The Abyss. It has slight horror elements to it, but it's more of an adventure film. Um, That was one of them. Yeah. Its budget was $70 And it made $54 million domestic, uh, according to IMDb. So that was not a big win for James Cameron. Uh, Leviathan. It, yeah, it wasn't popular. It, no. It, I actually it, like it, it though. I, I love it. I think it's actually one of his best movies. Mm-hmm. But I can see why it wasn't popular, because it, it didn't have that mainstream vibe to it. Yeah. It felt like an indie film. It did. In a good uh, way. A, in a very good way. <laughs> a very large budgeted uh, indie film. Yeah. Um, but here is one that is kind of an indie film. Lords of the Deep came out as well in 1989. Uh, I don't have any numbers on that. I kind of think it went straight to video or it had a limited release, but regardless, it didn't do that well either, I don't think, financially. I was surprised. Leviathan had a $25 million budget. Domestic, it only made about 15 And Deep Star 6 had an $8 million budget, and it domestically grossed $8 million. So it's honestly the winner, although in Hollywood's eyes, you have to like double your budget in order to actually be a winner. So none of these movies won, but yet that was a huge freaking year for underwater movies. It was. I didn't realize all four of those movies came out the same year. I, I knew about Leviathan and Deep Star, obviously, and... Deep Star came out in the beginning of the year, January, which is usually a dead time for movies, so that's probably why it made its money. 
back. Yeah, uh, sorry, then... real quick. Let me just tell you. I actually wrote them all down. You're right. Deep Star was January. Leviathan was March. Lords of the Deep was June. And The Abyss was August. I saw all of them in the theater except for Lords of the Deep. August is kind of a, I mean, by today's standards, well, pre-COVID standards, August is kind of a dead month also because kids are starting to go back to school. It's like June and July are considered the top months. But March is kind of a dead month too. At least it was for a very long time. Now it seems to be like they roll out a movie that is decent but not that great in March, and it's really May, June, July when the good, the heavy hitters come out, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, that that surprises me. It, it surprises me, and it doesn't. Obviously, you are a hater of Leviathan <laughs> in a big way, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, I mean, I I personally uh, enjoy both films. I enjoy Deep Star immensely more for for various reasons. But uh, Leviathan has a stellar cast um, directed by a very capable uh, director, uh, the guy who did Cobra and Rambo Part Mm, Two, George Costamos, I think is his name. I'm butchering his last name, but Costamos, I think is his name. Regardless, you know, that that movie had so much going for it. Oh, Cosmatos. Sorry, George Cosmatos. Okay. Okay. Um, Who, you know, it, it. yeah, he did Tombstone also. So I, there which you a go. movie I love, by the way. Yeah, and- I mean he's a very he's a very um, uh, accomplished filmmaker. It just dude, fell flat. It fell flat at the end, like like I know you talked a little bit about. Yeah, and you're right. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Leviathan. I love underwater monster movies so for me not to like something it's gotta be it's gotta irk me in some way and the weird thing is i like the setup for leviathan so much better than deep star six it almost has an aliens vibe where you come across you know a a group of a team of soldiers or scientists come across something that was abandoned and then shit you know comes out of that and it's a great setup for me that movie is fine, it's okay, and then that ending is the worst ending I've ever seen in my life. It's not much worse than Deep Star 6, but for some reason, like, they're both pretty bad. Like, that very final climax of the surface and everything, they're both pretty bad. But for some reason, Leviathan was just so much worse. You could see Ernie Hudson was dead inside when he was filming it and i was just like oh my god but i'll say this i'll say this last year uh because of all the talk online about leviathan versus deep star six i hadn't seen either of them in a long time so last year i watched them both pretty much back to back within the same week and yeah deep star six kind of won it for me i was like yep i kind of don't need to see leviathan anytime soon ever again well, I understand why you feel that way, and, and I'm not disagreeing with you. Um, I, I saw both of these movies in the theater as a, as a kid. I know you saw Deep Star as a kid. Um, saw them both with my moms, <laughs> and, uh, and I have, so I have a, a, a long history with both films. And honestly, I would watch both films almost once a year on a semi-regular basis. Um, yeah, I share an equal love of underwater films or something very claustrophobic and creepy about it. The whole idea that you could be drowning or in certain cases, uh, exploding if you rise <laughs> up too high, too fast, explosive but, yeah. decompression, <laughs> right? It, it's funny though, that, that, that these movies still to me, uh, outweigh the volcano films that came mm. out the same year. Uh, the end of the world, 
you know, um, blow up an asteroid yeah. that came out the same year. Like yeah. for the, for me, those movies are very forgettable and, and like unforgivable in the sense that some, both there's a couple really bad ones in there. These to me hold up more because I feel like you're taking a schlocky, um, B movie premise and you're putting a list actors in it. And well, I would consider a list, you know, Hollywood standards might consider them not, but I would. And, uh, and I just like the concepts more personally than, than, than the other, you know, this is what Hollywood does. They, they put out two movies all the time that are very similar in tone. Um, this one is they're they're not carbon copies of themselves, but they're pretty damn close. Um, (laughs) Damn close. (laughs) You know, one, one has, one has RoboCop not given a cop. And, uh, the other one has, Poor man's Kurt Russell. So uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say the other one has my two dads. Well, yeah, my. T- I mean, Greg Evigan is is the man. I love him, and I say that in a loving way that he's that he's uh, the poor man's Kurt Russell because if we ever book him on the show, I'll be like, I love you, man, and I really do. I really do. <laughs> no, the, my my BJ biggest, Bear, you know, my biggest takeaway from Deep Star Six is why didn't that guy get a freaking career out of this? Like a, a mainstream leading man career because the entire time that he's, uh, the guy who plays McBride, he is fan-fucking-tastic in the entire film. And I'm like, where where's his leading man status now, you know? I don't, I don't get it. I know he had a very successful career in television on My Two Dads and BJ and the Bear, mm-hmm. and he had a singing career as well. He was very successful with that. But he did not... Uh, did not translate and it's such a weird he was he was maybe it's a product of the time you know we've interviewed so many people on interviews after dark on our patreon and if you haven't subscribed to our patreon please consider doing so because it's really worth it we have at uh, this point like i think 15 to 18 like already out there we already, already. have like four in the can i mean guys and gals yeah. we have a lot of interviews and if you're just going off of what um we have for free which we have about i think four episodes for free just know that we have like triple that online so please go check out our patreon you unlock a ton of content there yeah, yeah, and and one very reoccurring theme with a lot of these guys is they all talk about how the 80s and the 70s and the 80s if you were on television, then you'd forget about having a film career, you know. Um I think about somebody like Steve McQueen who actually started out in television and then graduated into movies. Um well, he did The Blob first and then he did Wanted Dead or Alive on TV. Anyways, you know, I think about guys in the 70s that had a film career, but it was really the 80s, it seemed like. once If you were in TV in the 80s, then you were in TV. If yeah. you were in film, you were in film. There, there was no crossover. And uh, you know, maybe Tom Selleck was one of the few that could do that successfully. Uh, man, he does it so good. But uh, <laughs> Quickly <you> know, Down <laughs> Under. <laughs> right, Quickly Down Under and uh, shit, High Road to China, Runaway, you know, but but still. Anyways, like Greg Evigan, though, he had the look. He had the capability. Yeah, uh, all, all boxes checked, everything, everything. Yeah, except, you know, one thing he was missing, and every actor in that movie was missing, a wetsuit. <laughs> Yeah, dude. So yeah, I watched it once for funsies like I want to do. Uh, get high, just watch it. Just let the movie, uh, just get absorbed into the movie and, and, and feel it. So that my first viewing is always my feeling viewing. And then I break it down. But after the feeling viewing, you texted me. And you're like, hey, 
what are the wetsuits in this movie? And so the second time I was watching it, I couldn't take my mind off of that. Especially when yeah, Matt McCoy gets like shoved into the 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 suit thing that eventually is going to get eaten in half. Like nowadays, people wear like wetsuits to go into that. He's just wearing his fleece. He's wearing his fleece and his mom jeans, yeah. which are like tapered at the bottom. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's wearing like like he's like he's hanging out at the lodge in a ski resort. You know, it's, uh, it's such an interesting costume design choice for for everybody in this film. Well, yeah, you mentioned that the budget was what six million or something. Eight. Like that? It was eight million. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's a fairly big budget. But I guess by typical standards, it's not. Yeah. Uh, if, especially if Leviathan's twenty five, and you could tell, you know, they did their best with what they had. Yeah. And and, and there's a lot to praise for sure. I'm not knocking anything at all. But damn, come on, get, yeah, get some freaking web suits, or web suits, wetsuits, <laughs> especially if um, if they're like navy people. Yeah. Come yeah, on now. Yeah, like the only reason I even kind of knew they were navies because Matt again, Matt McCoy, or oh no, I think it was uh, Snyder, uh, Miguel Ferrer was wearing uh, like a navy sweatpants, you know, with, like branded navy. I was like, okay, I guess he's navy too. But yeah, dude, like after watching movies like Underwater now, like w- with Kristen Stewart, which I loved, I thought that movie was fantastic. But you know, in that movie, they have like suits that are specially made for them. They're wearing like you know. As, you know, some kind of outfit that makes it look like they're a part of some sort of team. It's not just a ragtag, wear whatever the hell you want. It's casual Friday at Deep Star 6, guys. <laughs> well, dude, dude, uh, you said Abyss came out the same year, and they were, I mean, they had their casual outfits when they were in the uh, oil rig, and then they had their their yeah. uh, skinny, uh, their swimsuit, swimsuit, their, their sweatsuits, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm not expecting G.I. Joe's torpedo, but I am expecting. But at least put something. Matt McCoy in one. Like, if, if, of all the entire budget, just put Matt McCoy in one for that scene for him to get into that suit. That's it. You wouldn't get into that suit with that loose fitting of an outfit because it would get caught on something. That being said, I, I am perfectly fine with what Nia Peebles was wearing in the first half of the movie. That being said, this movie is horny as fuck, and there's no nudity in it whatsoever, but there is a lot of braless tank tops, and Nia Peebles takes the cake in this movie. I had a massive, massive crush on her. Her body was rock solid. (laughs) I'm sure you had a massive something. Um, But yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's, it's funny. Uh, I, I... Again, watching this again, I watched it two nights ago, and I, I always break it up and I break it into two parts so I can really take it all in. And, and I and I watched the second half uh, last night and the night before we recorded. And goddamn, like I loved it yet again, mm-hmm. yet again for so many reasons that uh, you know it. Cl- that first half is clearly not a monster movie. Yeah. So <laughs> it's 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 weirdly not really a monster movie even though that's what it's built really as you know, it, it's more of a like you said earlier like the volcano films where like when there is no antagonist they have to sometimes make technology be the antagonist and i will say that the one thing i i hate about movies like armageddon because of what i just said they have to make the technology the yeah. so everything goes wrong it's just if it can go wrong it's gonna go wrong and that builds tension here and I know sometimes I feel like in, in movies like Armageddon, it's not logical. It's just because it has to go, because it can go wrong, it's going to go wrong, and that's it. Whereas here, 
I felt like all the shit that went wrong were, were like logical events, like either something where there was a miscommunication with somebody, uh, there was this something like Snyder was following a procedure or something. And by the way, I'm team Snyder in this, in this movie. I think he did everything right. And I think someone needs to reevaluate the procedures on how to handle the nukes and everything. But that's what I liked about this. It didn't, things didn't go wrong just because they could go wrong just to create drama. I felt they were, I felt like they were more organically inserted into the plot of the film. Totally agree. Totally agree with everything you said. Um, I guess we'll never know Snyder's perspective because Miguel Ferrer is no longer with us. Yeah. Rest in peace. What and a loss. What a uh, loss. By the way, George Clooney's uh, uncle. Oh yeah, I I think I remember that. I remember hearing about that. But I mean, we're we we've been a fan of his forever. We love him in RoboCop, obviously everything he does. But like when I watch this movie and I watch him in it, I am reminded like wow, he was such a talented actor. He he is delivering a ten performance in this. He you know what? He's seasoned Hubley of this movie. <laughs> he he is, and and I will just say, and I know we're gonna run down the cast in a second, but uh, I, there, there's one movie specifically if you want to see him kind of showcased as a hero, because he often doesn't get that opportunity and a lead a lead hero. He was in a movie uh, mid '90s called The Harvest, mm. and it is about a guy, a writer. I think he's a writer. He goes down to Mexico. Uh, he gets uh, seduced by this woman. He wakes up the next morning in a bathtub mm. with stitches around his kidney area, and he has no idea where he's at, and he has to figure out who took his kidney. Ah. And and it's a great premise. Uh, and his wife at the time, Leilani Sorel Ferrer who uh, is known if for, uh, she was the lesbian love interest in Basic Instinct with Sharon Stone. Oh, yeah. Uh, her. That was one of her big mm. standout roles. She is the lead actress in that. And uh, it's great, great, like, um, you know, straight-to-video thriller. And before those really became super cliche, it's great. N- nice, fun premise. And it's Miguel Ferrer being the lead and the hero and the good guy, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Bingo, bang, and tango, tango. It's too bad, you know, that never came about because the guy's, the guy's tits. Uh, he's also in uh, Revenge, which is a great um, Kevin Costner kind of sensual thriller, mm. and he plays a badass in that as well. Um, yeah, dude, Revenge is really a lot of fun. But yeah, Miguel was—he's been in everything. But yeah. um, should, should we should we go through the cast? Yeah, let's well let's start with the director because I mean the the people behind the scenes on this film is astounding. It really is. Um, you know the director. I don't know if you've heard of him. You might have <laughs> a little, uh, little name, small name. Might have his name's uh, Sean S. Cunningham. He directed a little movie called New Kids that we obviously love. And yes. Sean S. Cunningham, besides that, is is he's the godfather of slashers, yeah. uh, Friday the 13th. Yeah, he directed director. the first one, pretty much yep. created the entire franchise, yeah. Yeah, he's a legend. Um, he's, he's, he's a true fan of horror and thriller and has a real good way of communicating tension in a film uh, that kind of you can tell he's a fan of Hitchcock in the style that he uses because it like builds the tension builds and then, but he mixes his gore in there too. He's not afraid to do that and a little clearly, sleaze. and his sleaze uh, accentuating certain body parts of one particular actor later, <laughs> twenty minutes into the movie. Uh, we're not Mr. Skin and 
never claimed to be. So you can go on his website and find out <laughs> what that's all about. Anyways, um, we mentioned Greg Evigan. Talked about what he's been in. Uh, but Nancy Everhard, she's the only one in the movie that actually has a first and last name <laughs> listed in the credits. Uh, Joyce Collins. She plays Joyce Collins. Nancy Everhard, which you had texted me while we were watching this, maybe together at the same time. Uh, she's not Tr- she's not Lady Tron. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, not not Lady the Tron? Lady from Tron, yes. <laughs> but, uh, but shit, man, she's been in, you know, she's had small roles. She was in the, uh, the 1989... Uh, Marvel Punisher with Dolph Lundgren, which I think is way better than people give it credit for. Um, the only thing it was missing was a giant skull in his chest, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Uh, and young another... Corey could not forgive that movie for it. Trust me, I couldn't either, dude. It was such a <laughs> letdown. You and I both share our love of, I mean, we're, we're cut from the same mold in many ways. But uh, yeah, that, Oh, there's the skull. It's on his knife. Yeah, he's got his skull in his knife. Fuck. No, fuck that. Why is it so hard? Just put the skull on his on his costume. Just do that. And even in the comic books, there's a logical explanation for it. His in the comics, he puts it there because that's where the body armor is. He says, "When I enter a room, and if people start shooting at me, most likely they're gonna aim for that giant white skull, and that's where I have the most armor. Like it's it's done for a reason. Just put the fucking skull on it. God damn." Because producers were idiots back then, and yeah. they thought, and I mean, let's be honest, they kind of did that with the X Men movies too. Where yeah. I'm like, wait, what is this? What are these outfits you're giving them? It took They're them, and it took them like 20 years to actually get into actual costumes. Finally, and GI Joe, they did that shit with the GI Joe movies. Like, oh, give me a break! I mean, oh, we're gonna make uh, the this Wayans brother the lead. We're gonna make Ripcord the lead. No, it's stupid. Anyways, anyways, high and, horse and, done. And put them in some kind of like exosuits or something yeah, so terrible lame, first gi joe movie was terrible terrible i'm looking forward to the lady j tv series though oh yeah me too sure why not sure sure sure, sure. <laughs> um Tarian black i think i'm saying his name correctly he plays lay law he's the captain of the ship so to speak the guy who mentions that you know i signed up for the navy and blah 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 uh not a huge career he was in oliver and company which is a decent kids cartoon Hill Street Blues, Rocky II, um, you know, not you. You called him the poor man's um, apone from Aliens, apone, which I think is a fair thing to say. It it is and isn't because I said that you know after the first viewing and then second viewing, I'm paying much closer attention. You know, when I'm taking notes and and breaking it down and. I gotta say, he brings his own thing to the table. He's he's not a ripoff of of Apone like I originally thought. I think he does a great job of of making the making it different. He 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 has a warmth to him that I feel like you don't get a lot from other captain roles from characters, you know, uh, or other captain characters, I should say. He brings a warmth to it that I really liked. Yeah, actually, I mean, I think I think everybody is phenomenal in this. I really yeah, do. I'm I, not I even too. like sugarcoating it at all. They really are. Uh, he's probably the least known out of all the actors that I recognize and equally as good as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Miguel Ferrer plays Snyder, which we already mentioned. Nia Peebles plays Scarpelli. Tell her where you know her from and when we met her. Well, so Nia Peebles has been in everything from fame to having her own TV show, her own dance party TV show. She's been in everything. Uh, she continues to work today. But she most on my list, she, I know her from North Shore. And fun fact, um, my bachelor party was 
uh, it was a two-parter, and the first part was uh, going to a 20th or 25th anniversary screening of North Shore at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica, where uh, the pretty much the entire cast did a live Q&A, uh, showed up for the screening. And so Corey and I, Corey barely knew, I barely knew Corey at the time, but I was like, this is my bro for life, clearly. <laughs> this is over 10 years ago now, yeah. or yep. no, nine years ago now. Um, you better and, remember when you got married, buddy. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, no, the, the, the 10, 11, or 8, 11, 12 was the uh, date. But, um, but the, the, the bachelor party was obviously earlier that year. And they, yeah, they did the screening. Uh, my boy Terry organized a, a gathering of all the all my homies, and we all wore Hawaiian shirts so we all could show that we were like together. And uh, they did the Q and A, and they had us come up on stage. And Nia Peoples gave me a big old hug, and she congratulated me. And and I was like, oh my gosh, she's still got a crush on you because she's beautiful. She's beautiful. She really she's is. beautiful. Yeah, she is. At, and the sweetest person too, and very enlightened and down to earth. Um, if you follow her on Instagram, anyways, uh, yeah, that's where I slash we know her from. And and also, side note, who else did we meet that night? John Philbin. John Philbin, who we and interviewed Matt on Adler. the show. <laughs> and John Philbin remembered I had a photo because he he was actually outside and he took a photo with us. I, I remember that. Yep. Um, and I he mean, was John super Philbin. Nice. Super nice. I mean, I've had him in my house. I know. So, uh, <laughs> I know. Toot toot. Uh, wow, dude, just think, dude, that's been almost 10 years. What a journey, bro. What a freaking journey, my man. Yeah, because at that point, I had no idea that I would be podcasting, let alone, I thought I was going to keep teaching. Yeah. So yeah. glad I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yes, me too. Me too. Yeah. So, so that's Nia, that's where we know Nia from. Matt McCoy plays Richardson. Uh, and I got to tell you where I know him from. <laughs> Serenity now, insanity later. He is Lloyd Braun from Seinfeld well, and will yeah, always I mean, be Lloyd Braun from Seinfeld. Your podcast Cartwright uh, obviously <laughs> yep. clearly uh you know triumphs him in that role. Uh, I remember him as being the sec. He played the the leftover lunch for the Police Academy movies. He was basically Mahoney uh it, once steve gutenberg left mm. and he was supposed to take over and it just didn't go very well i can see him build as the poor man's goot yeah and it was really like i'm sure if we ever interview him he would he would agree that you know nothing compares to steve gutenberg and police academy yeah. in the franchise yeah. uh but he was in hand the rocks a cradle which yeah. is a really uh decent thriller sexy thriller from the 90s god the 90s love their sexy thrillers dude <laughs> they do and I, we've you know we've <laughs> lamented and, and reminisced about them and you know wish we had the sexy thrillers back the you know the low budget the mid-tier budget thrillers but unfortunately i will always have a weird connection to that movie because i saw that and single white female in the theater with my dad and yeah it's just really awkward to be like 13 or 14 and and you know trying to like enjoy the sexual arousalness of everything that's happening but also very painfully aware that you're sitting next to your father in the theater so it's really awkward but yeah, that's uh a rough one. <laughs> that's <laughs> but a rough one that is a rough one but i'm not gonna lie i had a big crush on rebecca demone in in, yeah. in in the head in the rocks of cradles so she's in a, she's in one with um, Anthony Banderas and Anthony Antonio Banderas uh, that came out a couple years later, which I'm sure you can look up <laughs> anyways. Um, Cindy Pickett 
which is honestly, I, I feel bad. That's a terrible last name. Cindy Pickett. She got probably got terrorized. Hey, you pick it, Cindy. Yeah. Uh, she's she's like, you know what? Shut up. I'm going to grow up and be Ferris Bueller's mom. Yeah. I'm going to be iconic. bitch. Yeah. So how about that? <laughs> and um, honestly, that's the, I looked her up on IMDb. That's really the only thing I know her from. I mean, I know her from Son-in-Law because I, I love Son-in-Law. I mm. feel like Son-in-Law is the only good Pauly Shore movie. Okay. And don't tell me Encino Man is good because it's not. It's trash. And that Sean Astin's worst role he's ever had. I'm not going to lie, dude. I'm actually not really a Pauly Shore fan. I don't I don't hate I him, Pauly but I don't, I don't go out of the way to watch any of those movies. Son-in-Law, Biodome. I wasn't into any of those when I was younger. I love Pauly. I love Totally Pauly on MTV. And I had his stand-up cassette tape. Uh, I think I, I actually still have it. Um, and I, I don't know, there's something about him that I dug, but, but, uh, son-in-law is pretty decent and she's in that and, and she plays Diane Norris. Um, already all three female leads are, are, they're strong. Like yeah. you said. And th- yeah, um, that's, what's really, really cool about this film. Yeah. And shit. I mean, like I'm going to run down the entire cast and the entire cast is notable Yeah, because, uh, Marius Wears, he plays, um, Van Gelder, like the lead scientist of the crew. And he's uh, been in a t- he's South African actor. He was in Gandhi, uh, Blood Diamonds, Gods Must Be Crazy. I mean, all three are are movies <laughs> shot overseas, and uh, that's probably why how they got him. But very talented, very like he feels respected. His style of acting. He's got like gravitas on screen. Yes. He, he definitely he, has a presence, and the, the whole time I'm like, man, I can't take my eyes off this guy. He's freaking awesome. Yeah, he really is. He really, even when he's a dick, you're like, well, but he kind of redeemed himself in a way. Yeah. Uh, Elia Baskin, who I I, just, I don't know why, but I love this guy. I'm gonna say his name, his character's name wrong. Is uh, Berkaisha? No, it's Bursiaga. Bursiaga. Sorry, Bursiaga. Yeah, uh, Bursiaga. He plays Bursiaga. He was in. I mean, he's been in mainstream stuff. Spider Man, the uh, Spider Man Two, Spider Man Three, Transformers. But I remember him from. Uh, the 2001 sequel, 2010, A Space Odyssey, uh, he was one, like one of the Russian astronauts in that movie. Just a really like just talent, another super talented guy. Uh, and he's great in this too. He's, he's, he's in a lot of stuff. I know him from Becker. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Good you old Becker. Becker. Becker's coming back, baby. You love your Becker. I do. And, and two more actors. Uh, I'm going to save the last one. I'm going to save. I'm going to jump over this one and come back to him. Ron Carroll plays Osborne. Um, he's super recognizable character actor. S- Spring Break, The Producers, uh, Friday the 13th. He's uh, Dawson's Creek. Dawson's Creek. My wife's watching in... that right now as we record this. <laughs> I heard that, by the way, on Hulu I, or Hulu or Amazon, they changed the music. Yeah, yeah, Netflix. Um, they don't have the, I don't want to wait. Yeah, that's, uh, they changed it to something else. It's a nightmare. Oh, it's my horrible. God. That is, yep. that is it's, blasphemy, it's dude. It's a travesty. And, and honestly, bro, the, the, the more we are moving into the future of streaming, the more I freaking hate it, man. It's like these all these right for these songs it's like i get it like the artist needs to get paid i totally understand that but at some point i think you said it at some point it, it's now synonymous with the art so just let it be you know yeah i don't i mean look i you and i are artists yeah i'm a musician and i appreciate i still get residual checks for the projects i've worked on which is great and i love that let's make it 
accessible for everybody. Uh, spoiler on, I talked about this on $2 late fee, uh, the movie Wildlife, mm. The Wildlife from 84, which has been utterly unavailable anywhere, is coming out on Blu-ray from Kino in June, uh, which is a huge deal. Or is it May? It might be May. Uh, anyways, North Shore is also coming out on Blu-ray in May from Kino. And so finally, these movies are seeing the light of day. It only took... So it was like uh, the you know the heavy metal syndrome. It's yeah. Like, God damn. Just can we fix this? The audience is out there. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Ron Carroll <laughs> plays Osborne, and last but not least, playing Hodges, someone we're a big fan of. We've he brought him up a couple times. Once we brought him up in the Prince of Darkness yep. breakdown, mm-hmm. and we brought him up on the latest episode of Podcasting After Dark presents TV Obscura mm-hmm. with our homie. Diallo Jackson, uh, Tom Bray, Tom Bray, who many will know from Riptide, which we brought up in Prince of Darkness, uh, and also plays, he's he's on Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. He's Wilbur Finletter, the yeah. voice of Wilbur Finletter. Yeah. I love this dude. I love me some Tom Bray. So uh, if we, we'll get him on the show at some point, I'm sure. And dude, I'm so glad that we did that TV Obscura episode because now when I listened to him in, in this movie in Deep Star 6, all I could hear was Wilbur. And I was like, oh my freaking God. But also too, he's not in the movie that much, but I love when he is, especially his interactions with Snyder when they were coming and going on the on the sub at the beginning of the movie. So good, dude. His delivery is great. His his energy with, with Miguel Ferrer is great. Dude, It's he's awesome. Tom Bray is awesome. So real like fun random fact. So his, his kind of, his, uh, his co-pilot in his little ship that he's in, in this Osborne. Um, so Osborne, the actor who plays Osborne, he was in house one and house two. And Tom Bray was in the horror show, which is with um, Lance Henriksen and Brian James about a guy who gets electrocuted and comes back from the grave. Kind of like shocker. Yeah. Those might've come out around the same time, which is funny. Maybe we'll, we'll do something <laughs> down the road with those movies. Uh, anyways, the horror show is house three. Mm-hmm, it was originally mm-hmm. supposed to be house three. And then they then House Four came out on video, and you're like, wait, where was House Three? The horror show is House Three. Yeah, uh, for those that don't know, and it's really good. It's, it's and uh, Tom Bray's in that. And the connection with with House and Deep Star Six is both Sean Cunningham. There you go. Exactly. Another connection um, is so. I have a couple people that also worked behind the scenes, and one of them was Kane Hodder. He was the stunt coordinator on this film. He was also the stunt coordinator on House as well. And uh, obviously, we all know Kane Hodder went on to play Jason Voorhees, a franchise started by Sean Cunningham. So nice little circle there, but there was a good interview on the the Blu-ray disc for Deep Star Six. By the way, you mentioned Kino Lober. That's who we. That's who put out this as well. This Blu-ray. Great package, awesome extras, great interviews, um, and a beautiful transfer, an absolutely beautiful transfer. And I love the alternate cover that it has, too, on the inside. Me, too. Uh, Kino, I'd say Kino, and and their price point is great, by the way. You can sometimes find their Blu-rays as low as, like, seven bucks. Uh, Some Actually, sorry, as low as $5 on their website. They have sales all the time worth checking out. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's got a slip cover. It's beautiful. Uh, last little side note I'll say, the writers 
I won't really mention. Uh, I'll come back to them in a second. But um, the music is composed by Harry Manfredi. Yep. Manfredini. Sorry. Yes. Harry, Harry Manfredini, uh, who obviously did the Friday the 13th music the, and House. Yeah. So, you know, um, like Peter Jason said in our interview, which will come up in a few months uh, from the airing of this episode, you know, these familial type directors find people they enjoy working with and they keep them. They, they You see it now in Netflix shows. You're like, wait, that guy was in this and she was in that. Like you find reliable people that are good to go. And you and work you well keep, with. Yeah. And you work well with them and you keep working with them. Yeah. Um, I mean, Hollywood's so, like that, man, because, you know, you and I, we've both worked in Hollywood. We have connections. We have friends that work in it. And it's when you have to, you're on set for like, 12, 13, 14 hours a day, you have to get along with the people that you're working with. If you don't, yeah, it's just, yeah. And that's why directors like use the same people over and over again, because it has to be fun. Like you can't have that close of a knit, you know, thing and have it be a miserable experience. You're just never going to work with them again. Yeah. I think the only time for me it never gelled was when I saw Billy Drago get his balls blown off in Invasion USA. (laughs) And then he was the lead villain in Delta Force Part Two. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, Chuck Norris kicked his ass already once, and now he's supposed to be tougher. I don't buy that. Yeah, but that was the only time I ever felt that yeah, way. Yeah, I think you. I think you brought it up on on the Invasion USA uh, episode as well. Now, real quick before we move from the composer, I just wanted to say that I very much enjoyed the score for this film. Oh, the score is great. The score is great. The special effects are great. Uh, the practical effects are great. And and I'm glad that you mentioned that because the pedigree of people who worked on the monster effects here uh, was awesome. But I'll just throw out a big name, Greg Nicotero. He was one of the people that worked on it. Uh, they had to do so much R&D to figure out what sort of foam to make the creature out of so that it didn't get waterlogged and, and become too heavy to maneuver. They finally did, you know, they got everything to work. And of course, right when they put it in the water, it was still pretty much too heavy. They had to move or get around things. But the I think the biggest problem with this movie is the budget makes, like the sets were too small to, to believably hide the monster later you know i think yeah. that was the biggest criticism from the film for the film and that is one of my biggest criticisms for this entire film but otherwise it has a stellar cast it is expertly directed expertly acted i think the monster actually looks pretty damn good um yeah. and it, it does what it's supposed to do i truly think the biggest flaw in this movie is they didn't have a bigger budget to make a bigger set I wasn't going to compliment the monster in the special effects. I was going to compliment the miniatures and mm. the um, the stop motion, uh, like the ships they used in the in the base. And I thought that looked really badass. Yeah. I thought that I was like, oh, it makes me want to. As a kid, I used to see that and want to because we were both kids when this movie came out. Yeah. As a kid, I wanted to make that stuff, you yeah. know, and I wanted to recreate it. I thought it was really, really well done. Uh, yeah, the monster. It's better than the Leviathan monster, I can tell you that much, because uh, I think you could even see the strings in that one. Yeah. But um, but this is like, it's okay. It, it's it's decent. Like I come from the perspective of well, there's also 
I've been to the Natural History Museum in Los Angeles so many times, and I've seen so many weird creatures they have there on mounted and in tanks and whatnot. And you think about all the weird stuff. So I could easily see something looking like this. There are times when it definitely looks like a hand puppet, but yeah. Um, yeah. but you know, <laughs> but less is more in my opinion. Yeah, less is more. Mm-hmm. And if they even kept it a li- more minimal uh, with the monster. And just like pulling you under in one tentacle, like it did with you know Nia Peebles, which you'll get to obviously, uh, I would have been happier with that. Yeah. But you know, and and I, really quick, I, I didn't mention the writers, um, Lewis Abernathy and Jeff Miller, because you know, looking up their resume, like nothing really stands out all that much to me. Um, <laughs> Lewis Abernathy wrote House Four, which is funny because it's really. Um, and then he did special effects on Witchboard, which yeah. is like this guy like kind of did a little bit of everything, which is really funny. Same with Jeff Miller, uh, which, hey, it's all good. He actually worked on House 4 as well, which is really <laughs> funny. Um, There's a lot of know, house connections in here, man. Yeah, yeah dude. I, you know, I guess we better do one of the house movies. Uh, and he worked on Hard Candy. He didn't. Um, oh, I remember He was that additional movie. crew on okay. Hard Candy. Hard Candy's like a pretty decent kind of modern day exploitation yeah, film yeah thriller-esque yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's all right uh but yeah that rounds out the uh the principles with with ds6 before we dive into anything i i i wanted to really quickly mention the producers besides sean s cunningham uh it's andrew vagina it's <laughs> a great name by the way try not to laugh and mario Casar. those two dudes so they did a lot of stallone stuff and Schwarzenegger. They produced Stargate, Total Recall, First Blood, Cliffhanger, uh, First Blood Part 2, Judge Dredd, the Stallone version. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, A little bit of everything. Terminator franchise, Die Hard, one of the Die Hard movies, Tombstone. So it's interesting that they produced this film, and yet, you know, the other... Oh, uh, the other... Uh, leviathan that came out the same year you know has a connection as well to stallone so carl co or carol co or whatever the hell it is flashes up and you're like oh you know it's got the music from rambo yeah which is badass yeah and then you go oh wait but these dudes yeah these dudes are the producers of course it's their company yeah i don't know anyways fun fact no. I, I thought I was amused by it. No, dude, I am blown away by the pedigree that is behind the scenes on this film. It's it's amazing for an eight million dollar movie. Pretty impressive. I think so. Obviously, that's why we're talking about it. Yeah, twenty years later. Exactly. Exactly. So, ready to submerge, buddy boy? I'm ready to get my 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 work boots wet. <laughs> Your fleece wet. My work <laughs> boots and my my plaid. A flannel shirt. (laughs) All right, let's descend into Deep Star Six. Below the surface of the sea, far, far below, in impenetrable darkness, at unimaginable pressure, no form of life we know could possibly exist. Here, There is only silence. And the crew of Deep Star Six. Six months at the bottom of the ocean. It's more than I'm bargaining for. They are explorers. Let's bring it aboard and get the hell out of here. 
What's the matter? You gonna let a few ugly fish scare you? They are invaders. Okay, boys and girls, don't try this at home. In a world which no human being has ever entered. Sonar contact. Down here? I'd like to go out and take a look. Contact closing. 300 meters. What the hell is that? 250. Look at that mother. 200 meters. 150 meters. I think we're in big trouble, boss. 100 meters. Get us the hell out of here. Now, they are about to make a startling discovery. Not all aliens come from space. Star Six. We're gonna have to go back down there. How did they kill half our crew? Damn it, there's something in the. Save your last breath to scream. From the creator of Friday the 13th, Deep Star Six. All right, buddy. Uh, another Studio Canal movie. Back to back, man. We uh, Vice Vice Squad last week, or I'm sorry, not not last week. That was TV Obscura, but the week before, last movie we reviewed, Studio uh, Canal. So I guess like uh, I guess they have um, maybe they have the rights to to Carol Co movies now, and they're just produ- they're just putting them out on Blu-ray or something. I guess. I mean, they yeah, because that flashes on the screen, and then TriStar flashes on the screen, but there's no music. Did you notice? Yeah, that? I the noticed TriStar that. logo. Yeah, that like, was kind of weird. That's weird. Yeah, uh, and then. Carol Co or Carolco or Carol Mo Caramel Caramel Coated <laughs> Candy Pops uh, flashes up and it's got that and every time that kicks in I'm just like oh I want to watch Rambo Part Two now please oh. I love Rambo God, Part Two great soundtrack dude. yeah I love me some Rambo Two and uh, Rambo Two Two and if there was no Rambo Two there would be no Rambo cartoon that's yeah uh, no that is absolutely Lou. true because because the Rambo that I think of is not first blood like in my mind like it's it's part two and on and by the way i haven't seen the last one but i loved the one that was just called rambo like part four whatever it was came out about 10 years ago love that one which was yeah and you know really first blood is a standalone film yeah they shouldn't they and they shouldn't have made a sequel um i'm I'm happy that they did because i i like rambo first blood part two but first blood part two is really the beginning of that like legit franchise right yeah that yeah like rambo yeah part two is the beginning of that franchise it's almost kind of like friday the 13th part one is a bit standalone because jason's not in it and then kind of moving after that is really sort of how the franchise is almost like part one's a prequel yeah it makes me think that they didn't have um that they didn't think it was going to go that route Mm -hmm. necessarily Mm -hmm. so which Shit, go back and watch First Blood. That movie is just a straight up hardcore drama. It's hard to, but for First Blood Part Two is a straight up action movie. Yeah, uh, anyways, very tonally different. Anytime that logo pops up, I'm just like, oh, oh god, I love this. And so, what a great way to start this! What a great way to start a movie that ends up having one of the longest credit sequences <laughs> in forever. But so, yeah, so the, so the credits start at the surface and the camera like, you know, they just use a bunch of stock footage as they descend deeper and deeper. I can deeper, deeper. I kind of liked it. I thought it was nice. Um, the, the soundtrack, the score here is beautiful. It's very 
It's kind of like that 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea vibe, kind of like a, a everything's happy and fun and we're on the high seas having a good time, and it sets the tone that this is more maybe adventure than horror, but it, it has horror elements to it. But the, the musical score really kind of sets a tone for it being sort of a high-flying adventure film. Yeah, I'm I'm okay. I love the score, and I and I'm pretty much overall okay with the with the five minute. Yeah. It's five minutes. It's, guys. Yeah, it's, it's long. Like, it's it's like long. Four minutes, thirty six seconds, or something like that. Um, it the stock the stock footage is just kind of it's kind of shitty. Yeah. Like it's just kind of grainy, and I'm like, yo, I don't know. Like make it a little bit better. Um, you know, if especially you're gonna make it sit through this for five minutes. It's neither here nor there. It is what it is. But it was just like a long. I think they were they were padding time. Probably. There's a, quite a few moments in this film where I'm like, you're padding time. Quite a few moments where I'm like, I wonder if Corey's not taking any notes right now because there's not a lot happening. <laughs> I I conveniently condense some notes, you know, uh, down. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 they do seem to pad a little bit. This is a cool 99 minutes. Um, I do think it's pretty well paced, except for this, except for the beginning. This is probably the only part that's sort of slow. Yeah. But again, I didn't have a problem with it because I liked the music and it was kind of prepping me. But it is tonally a little bit different from the rest of the film, I'd say. Yeah, I think I'm the pacing is perfectly fine. I just think it's it is a it is a slow building film. Yeah, uh, which is totally fine. It's totally fine. It, it just, you know, I think some people might have forgotten that yeah. because when you see the way people blow this movie up like oh my god this movie is so intense and you're like yeah it is it is it is it is it is it is but there's a lot of scenes that are not intense yeah and there are a lot of light scenes and it's which, which I, I like that though me, me i love too. that because yeah because i think it, it offsets the it actually helps the intense uh, uh stuff later so yeah we'll we'll get into all that but i'm i'm with yeah. you dude i do enjoy the pacing of this film um but I am also with you. I think they could have maybe paid a little bit more for better stock footage, but okay, whatever. We have what eight we million. have, you know? And eight so, million, million. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, eight million. It's not a lot. So they're like, you know what? We'll, we'll spend the money where we can. And I think they put the money into the appropriate places in this film. I think I it's all on screen personally. So, yeah, I agree. And, and, and by the way, real quick, like, $8 million to film a movie with water. Like, water is so freaking hard to work with. You have to film in tanks, you know? Like, it's a whole production. It's not It's not like spending $8 million and going out to a cabin in the woods and filming out there. You can make that money go further, probably. Here, I mean, it goes into the sets and everything, but I think we see all of it pretty much on screen. And, and like you said, the miniatures and stuff. And... I think the miniature work in this film does not get enough praise. Everyone like, you know, talks about they love what happened in the abyss and yeah, they pushed, you know, he, he even put like a little projector inside the thing inside the submarines in the abyss to create, to be able to see the actor inside. Like, yeah, that was a big deal, but that was also $75 million. This is $8 million. And I think it's doing as, as good of a job as it can with the miniature work that it's doing in this film. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it, it's a, this is a low budge for sure, but it doesn't look low budge. No, it really doesn't. No, it does it really not. Doesn't. It does not look low budget. Look, truly, the only thing I would say that looks low budget is just the size of some of the rooms. Like the 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 building, Deep Star Six could it should have been bigger, but that's it. That's that's all it is. Everything else I think looks fucking amazing. 
yeah, I would say the ship, the ship that the sub that they fly around in is huge. It looks huge, yeah. the miniature, and you're like, they're cramped in this little. Yeah, of course. Like, of but course. what the what's what the hell's the back end? Food? <laughs> yeah. They got a subway back there. <laughs> Did someone say subway? <laughs> Sorry, Randy Cosby's got to pop up every now and then. Every now and again, he's got to rear his ugly head. <laughs> he sure does. <laughs> going to the deep. Here we go, going in the water. You got deep water with me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking of Randy Cosby, we cut to uh, McBride and Collins waking up together. <laughs> Get it? Because Cos- Cosby dropping the roofies in. So, <laughs> did he? Did he find out how to use my sex secret sauce? <laughs> Uh, uh, we get uh, Ooh, Mr. Harry. God, he's so yes. Harry. Yeah, she's Mick- like pl- she's kissing his chest hair. I'm just like chicks nowadays would probably be kind of grossed out by that. Yeah, I, I imagine he would have uh, uh, waxed by this point. But this was 1989, and he is a hairy bastard. But uh, <laughs> he, he'd be called a a bear. I guess. Yeah, he probably in would. The, in the community. Uh, so th- they wake up. <laughs> McBride asks Collins if she thinks the new site for the missiles is a lock. Collins says Van Gelder seems to think so. With any luck, we'll be home in a week. Uh, this is going to be a ongoing theme about everyone sort of wanting to get home and them overstaying uh, sort of their mission uh, has lasted longer than it should have. They talk about the <laughs> how great the captain's wife and kids are. Again, this does the t- typical trope of the people who have the most to live for are going to be the ones to die. Of co- and they're going to, of course, be the ones to die immediately after they look forward to living for the things that they want to live for. <laughs> it's it's all, this is, and so funny because this shit we say is typical, stereotypical trope stuff now, but man, Sean Cunningham started this shit back in the 80s. This he was, totally did. He totally did. You cared about everybody. You yeah. cared about all the camp counselors on Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. You really did. You cared about these people. It's it's only 10, 20 years later that in people doing the same thing is what makes it a stereotypical trope. But he, yep. here, this was the beginning of all this shit. Yeah, even the quote-unquote like antagonist in, in the in the bunch mm-hmm. is it's it's not none of it's his fault everything that happens to him like i said earlier i am team snyder in this film and i don't think he did well he might have done a couple things wrong but i don't think he did the big things wrong so but we'll get to that collins asks mcbride uh how come you never got married and he's like he's he's too it's too early for this kind of conversation. I thought that was funny. Uh, but she insists, and he says, I've never been in one place too long to get to know anyone that well. He's like, uh, let alone settle down. Colin says they've gotten pretty close in the last couple of months. McBride says, it's different with you. You're like one of the guys. And Colin's like, one of the guys. And then she grabs his junk, and they fall back into bed. It's cute. I think if you told a chick that she's just like one of the guys nowadays, she'd probably smack you in the face like... She would. Like, fuck you. She would. One of the guys? Then why did you go fuck one of the guys, huh? But the thing is, we do find out later that Collins is supposed to be the first woman to ever graduate from the Navy SEALs and shit. Oh, she's so badass. She, yeah, she's, she's super badass. Then we get this, like, right from that cute little scene, we cut to Collins, like, looking at herself in the mirror, in, in the bathroom mirror, kind of like... 
you know something's up, you know, and multiple viewings, you know it's because she knows that she's late, right? But but I like that. I like how Sean Cunningham layers this in kind of just slowly throughout the course of the movie of Collins knowing, because even uh, in the next scene, Bursiaga is asking about, hey, I heard you're not feeling that good, like you were throwing up or something. I like. I heard I, you're not able to eat food that's going on inside the, the lounge, the kitchens. You're not I, I, eating foods. Yeah, it's just... I don't know. I'm ready for food. I'm ready for Big Mac. I'm ready I for Big, Big Mac. Mac. That your, you know, your American fast food place have these amazing Big Mac. Have you had one? You deserve break today. <laughs> Speaking of break, now you're about now you're just minutes. going into different characters. With the I will same break accent. legs <laughs> soon. You'll find out, Pusky. Ruski. <laughs> uh, cut to McBride, Collins, and a bunch of other people piling into a sub. We meet Richardson, Bursiaga, who Zach was just talking about, Hodges, and Osborne. Bursiaga asks Collins if her stomach's still upset. She blames it on the dried out junk they had for dinner last night. This is when he's like, I want the Big Mac. I, I made Chernobyl in the toilet. It was amazing. <laughs> it's DEFCON 4. <laughs> Uh, McBride and Richardson, Richardson being uh, Matt McCoy, uh, are the pilots of the sub. They detach the sub from Deep Star 6 and head down into the depths. All right, so just so you all know, there's two stations. There's Deep Star 6, which is the main hub where everyone lives, sleeps, works, yada, yada, yada. And then there is the Sea Track and the Sea Cat. They're like miles away because that's where the bombs are. They're they're trying to put um, missiles on a sled on like just a level ground. And they're down there on the behest of the Navy to basically set up these nuclear warheads underground so they can just fire out of the, the ocean's floor versus being carried around in a sub. So just know that there's Deep Star 6 is the main hub and then the sea track is going to be the other smaller containment area where they work and do other things. This is why Doctor is so upset because... The potential for this to be a colonization of peoples down the road could be possibility. Could yeah? be possibility, and and it's, then and then we will just we will explore the caves. But until then, we blow things up. We say fuck caves. Just put grass on ground so we can populate with Chernobyl babies. <laughs> Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to go get trapped and die under some water over here. <laughs> Why does he sound like he's fucking from Jamaica? <laughs> because I'm not you. That's why. <laughs> I'm going to go get trapped under the water, man. Hey, man. Hey, I'm Roski. Yeah. Go uh, runnings. We get, uh, we get Richardson complaining about reading the same magazine for the 20th time. Can't wait to read a new one. Um, Bersiaga, His delivery, can't wait to- though, is funny because it's like, He's like, man, I can't wait to read another. Can't can't wait to read another magazine. A new new magazine delay, delay, no response, no response. Yeah, same. <laughs> it's like no one. Like everyone's like, okay, sure. Let, let me flash my baby blue eyes at you one more time and, and wink them at you. <laughs> oh, Matt McCoy, cutie. <laughs> Those eyes are insanely blue, man. Like it's wild. <laughs> uh, it basically. Every single character has a motivation for getting the fuck out of there. They all want to leave at this point. McBride says uh, six months at the bottom of the ocean is more than they bargained for. Richardson radios to Sea Track that they're coming in. Snyder appears on the monitor.
monitor and is annoyed because Snyder is always annoyed. But at this particular time, he's annoyed because the shift change was 20 minutes ago. Again, so so this whole entire movie, you're like, okay, Snyder's the asshole. But think about it. First off, they're down there like four months or two months longer than they're supposed to. Uh, they're late for the shift change. I mean, like, again, yeah, he's a dick, but it's not entirely his fault, you know? No, everything that happens to him, you know, the doc is like uh, Cindy Pickett's character. You know, she, she, she's Snyder. You complain too much or something like that at one point. <laughs> yeah. But he's right to complain. Yeah. Cause it's a, shit. a little bit. His food's cold. Yeah. Fuck because, that. because he gets, yeah, we'll get to that too. So yeah, again, I'm, I'm on team uh, Snyder guy. here, man. They're 20 minutes late. That's fucked up. I, I, I get it. You know, especially yeah. since you probably, I mean, in these kind of situations where everything at any notice, like everything could fall apart. I imagine yeah. you need to run things very by the numbers on time. Like you don't want people being tired or anything like that. So I'm on Snyder's side here. They, they should have gotten there on time. Um, he says he, the, the beacon's being activated. You'll see him soon. We see the sub fly over a cleared out work area on the ocean floor. And then we also see the sea cat there. Uh, then we see the sea track module next to it and some nuclear missiles, uh, overlooking a ledge. The sub docks with the sea track module as everyone is exiting the sub. Colin says that, uh, he'll see McBride later and gives her a kiss or, and she gives him a kiss. Of course, Richardson points to his cheek and, uh, she just pulls his hat down. It's cute. It's, it's, it's Matt McCoy cuteness. Um, as people are, as people are exiting, Snyder is getting on the sub. We meet Van Gelder in the sea track. He tells Bursiaga that he and Snyder moved the missile sled over to the new site last night. They just got this, the platform stabilized. Van Gelder tells Bursiaga to have Collins and her uh, men anchor the platform. So now basically Bursiaga and Collins are taking over for Snyder and um, who I just said, Van Gelder. But they also brought Hodges and Osborne with them because those are the two guys that run the Sea Cat, which is kind of like the submersible dozer down there. Bursiaga says that they have to do a sounding of the area before they can anchor the platform. Van Gelder assures them that the whole area of the seafloor is stable, but Bursiaga pushes back and Van Gelder says, fine, do some soundings. But at the same time, he'll, he'll, he'll get Collins to start excavating the site. Van Gelder leaves the sea track and gets on the sub. Richardson and McBride take Snyder and Van Gelder back to Deep Star 6. Now, this was the scene that I mentioned earlier when when Snyder was getting on and Osborne and Hodges were getting off. And Hodges and him, uh, Tom Bray and, and Miguel Ferrer had this awesome exchange that was just so damn good. And it really... It's solidified that you can tell they were friends. Like of everyone there, those are pro- they, they're really connected, and they clearly like the sleazy, sleazy porns and stuff like that. But yeah, the, I left the, the Playboy September nineteen eighty five in your in, yeah. in your VHS player. And he's like, he's like, is it hot? It's hot. Is it? I just love they had this really good call and call back response thing, you know, going on. Tell him, my man, what it be like? Yeah, another day in paradise. Little reading material for him. Oh, thank you. Listen, hey, I left something you're gonna like in your video machine. Are we talking about Miss September? Yes, in a word, nasty. Is it hot? Oh, it's hot. Is it wet? It's wet. Is it smooth? It's smooth. Is it right? Yes! And in, in just the way Tom Bray lands the the callbacks so good and that was when I was like, oh my god, I can hear Wilbur. It sounds like Wilbur from Attack of the Killer Tomatoes cartoon. Who wants a pizza with sal- uh, salmon and uh, pineapples on it? 
Actually, it sounds kind of good. Yeah, I don't know. That might not be terrible, buddy. <laughs> you might have just created something right there. I'll give it a try. Yeah. <laughs> um, back back on Deep Star Six, we see <laughs> Captain great. Laidlaw checking some gauges. Laidlaw. By the way, by the way, by the way, mm. Laidlaw. What a fucking awesome name. He is, dude. That Laidlaw. I like that name a lot. Not gonna lie. Laidlaw. And in and, and later when they're like when they named the the kid after after him, that's a pretty fucking cool sounding name. It was like. Philip Laidlaw McBride. I was like, yeah, dude, fucking Laidlaw, man, rocking and rolling. Yeah. And McBride, you know, McBride's got his, like, swagger about him. Hey, got to have that swagger. <laughs> I got that sweet beard. What a beard. Um, but he's doing his thing in, in, like, the command center, right? And then he goes yeah. into the next room is the mess hall. And in the mess hall, we see Richardson, Scarpelli, Snyder, Dr. Norris, and Van Gelder. Uh, there's some small talk happening. Then the captain asks Scarpelli why she isn't eating. She says she has too much work to do, and so he orders her to have the day off. Uh, Richard says that after breakfast, he'll help her with a few sets. The captain's like, uh, no, you won't. You got this to do. He's like, okay, okay. But after that, I'll just... And he's like, no, no, you'll have this to do. And I love it because Richardson, obviously, you know, they have a thing going on and, and everything. Yeah. But Laidlaw also, he cares about Scarpelli. And he's like, no, she needs a freaking day off. Leave her the fuck alone, basically, you know? And I like that. I like how Laidlaw cares about his people. Leave her alone, baby blues. Come on. <laughs> Come on, baby blues. <laughs> uh, so uh, cute. So cute. Uh, so, he, you know, he says, uh, <laughs> eventually he says, Scarpelli has the day off. You don't. So it kind of sh- shoots it down. Uh, we hear this like horrible sound of metal ben- bending. Scarpelli says that sound always gives her the creeps. Van Gelder says that he designed it to do that. So now we know he's the one that designed Deep Star 6. Um, and in the basically Deep Star 6 is just adjusting to the changes in the pressure. It's kind of like how a plane is has the wings kind of move and everything. You can't have it be super rigid. Otherwise, it'll just break. So it's the same yeah. philosophy and everything. But I like that dialogue there because it informed you that Van Gelder was the one that designed the whole place without, you know, coming out and saying it basically. Everything throughout this entire movie feels very smart, even yeah. if they're just making shit up, you yeah. know, which I think at some point they are. I agree. Uh, I agree. You know, oh, you got to check the TPS reports or yep. whatever they say. But uh, but it does sound the delivery because their acting is so good. Yep. Uh, I don't know if you noticed though, like the way Nia Peebles talks, I don't know if it was the dvd or if actually it's is the way she talks it sounds very like sped up almost when she delivers hmm. maybe we we'll go back and rewatch it she's got a couple of interactions with Laidlaw, you know or sorry van gelder when she goes in to talk to him about the um you know why she wants to yeah search the caves or whatever her delivery is so fast and i'm like did they speed up her dialogue in those scenes they, they, i wonder if they try like punched it up like a, a nanosecond just to get that time the time down or something um Maybe. i didn't notice that uh so i don't really know um i more noticed because we're looking at hd and everything the little pimple on her chin uh it was in this scene and then the the pimple goes away for the rest of the movie i was like oh but it was a it was a cute little pimple i was like i liked it i was like oh look at a little pimple <laughs> you're such a you're such a sleaze <laughs> The pimple's so cute. Can I pop it for you? Can I suck the Can I suck the pus out? Ew, of it gross, gross. Can I put a blackhead remover on it and just push down? But, but I'm not against it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's discuss. Let's break let's down discuss. the pimples on the face. First off, guys and gals, Nia Peebles is wearing a tank top with no bra this entire scene and pretty much the entire movie, and it is amazing. I love it. 
I, I mean, <laughs> yes, please. Free to be you and me, you know. She's <laughs> free to be. I yeah. I mean, it's no bra, no war. Yeah, but prob- probably should have been wearing a wetsuit. But you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay with her or not. But now during the scene, Snyder is kind of complaining a little bit about the food um, at the beginning of it. But now, so. All of a sudden, uh, Van Gelder tells Snyder to get on the, the, the radio with Collins. Snyder's fucking still eating, man. And he was, like, as far as this movie goes, like, as far as we can tell, Van Gelder was just talking to Collins. Like, dude, let the man fucking eat. So Snyder's like, can I fucking finish my breakfast here? And Van Gelder's like, do it now. It's important. And Laidlaw's like, come on, man. Just, you know, just go do it. And I'm like, again, I'm like, dude, like that. this is, yes, Snyder's getting pissed off, but... Let the man fucking finish eating, right? He's understandably pissed off. I'd be like, okay, uh, let me finish these last, this, the last four bites four of my bites. food. And, and then everyone's like, and he leaves, and everyone's like, hmm, Snyder's so wound up tight. Maybe it's because y'all are a bunch of fucking assholes to him. Maybe, yeah, maybe you ever everybody think about that? kind of gangs up on him. Yeah. I, I, no one treats him nicely. No, dude. I mean, again, Team Snyder all the way this whole fucking movie, man. Yeah. So... Snyder radios to Collins and Bursiaga down at the C track. And he's like, hey, you know what's going on? Van, Van Gelder meets him in there. He switches to video uh, and asks for a progress report. Uh, Collins says she orders Hodges and Osborne to stop digging. Bursiaga noticed unusual soundings underneath the excavation. They think there might be a cavern under the site. What do you think he would sound like when he said that? I want you to look inside the site and look for a cavern. Big holes don't always equal small package. Just because you have big package for a small hole doesn't always mean you'll have small hole for a big package. This makes sense in my homeland. You must understand. In Mother Russia, package mails you. <laughs> package mails you. And going back to Chernobyl, like I said, microscopic destruction. <laughs> Put on some... Iron Maiden, perhaps, make <laughs> feel better. <laughs> Colin says they can't install the sled over a cavern. Van Gelder says it's too late to request a site change. The Navy will shut them down. That's another theme that's going on. So so they're over. So now they're late, right? They've gone over budget. They've gone over time. And at this point, they have till the end of the week or the Navy's going to just shut this project down, basically. And you can't put a freaking missile silo or a missile sled on top of a cavern because when one goes off, it's going to break the whole cat. They're all going to fall in and then it'll shoot the the trajectory. The trajectory will be wrong on the missile and everything so i mean yeah i all the problems in this movie are quote unquote i think realistic or like realistic to the world that they are inhabiting essentially yeah um the fact that van gelder's so like dismissive of all of it though is a little yeah weak because you're like dude if the ground is so fragile and it's gonna fall through and he's like no, just speed it up. Come on, come on, gun. Well, I'll push, guys, I'll push back and say that I'm thinking Van Gelder, obviously, is under a shit ton of pressure, right? This is his project, and he's yeah. not a part of the Navy. My thinking is, is that he's like, just park them there. It's not going to be a problem until they actually fire, and by that point, it's not my problem anymore. Do you know what I mean? Which is kind of a dick move, too. Which is a huge dick move, but oh, so realistic to the world that we live in. Like, these seem like things that would really happen in our world that we live in. Oh, you mean so, like, someone in charge saying, 
fuck it, it's not my problem because by the time I'm out, I'm not going to have to deal with it anymore. Yep. Mm. Yep. Mm. Interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Colin says that, it, that the cavern looks like it might be pretty deep. Van, Kel- Van Gelder uh, says he doesn't care how big it is. Use one of the missiles to blow it up if you have to. I'm thinking that that was you would need to get some kind of requisition request for that to happen. Um, yeah. You can't just have a nuke just be used as a tool like that. Uh, but he wants the missile sled in place by the end of the week. Uh, Van Gelder and Snyder sign off. Uh, Collins radios Hodges and Osborne to ready an explosives package. So basically, they're just going to blow up the cavern and, and cave it in and be done with it. Uh, Snyder goes to meet everyone in the back of the me- back in the mess hall, and he complains that it complains that his eggs are cold. And they're like, "Hey, just use the microwave, Snyder. Hey, why don't you fucking suck my dick and let me finish my two fucking bites before we have this conversation that was not time sensitive? You know what I mean? Like yeah. seriously, yeah, you could, that could have waited for the reports to come in. So fuck you all, Team Snyder, all the way." Uh, Richard Sins is trying to use the garbage disposal, but it's jammed. He grabs Scarpelli's pen. I love this. Uses it to unclog it. Totally fucks up the pen. Gives it back to her. She's like, what's wrong with your pen? He's like, well, well, for one, I don't jam it in garbage disposals. But it a boom. Look at my blue eyes. Look, Look at my blue eyes. Look how cute I am. It doesn't matter what I say. Look at my blue eyes, baby. I'm cutie Matt McCoy. I'm the cutie. <laughs> but I thought it was funny. I thought it, I, I enjoyed it. I think it's fun. It's cute little cute little character interactions, you know? You like my fleece? I got it yeah. in Mervyn's. It's the only yeah. fleece I wear the entire fucking movie. Yeah. Sierra Pacific. <laughs> Even into the shower with, with Scar... Well, though, I, I would do that as well, so... Um, McBride enters and gives the captain a fuel consumption report. Captain asks what Collins said over the radio to, to Snyder. Snyder says they found a cave under the missile site. Um, Scarpelli wants to know more details, but Snyder's like, she said it was a big cave. I don't know. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me today in studio is co-host Dean. Oh, hey, hey, Tim. Dean. Uh, This isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, well then... Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Talking back. Hello! La, la, la. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La, la, la. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. 
So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. And now, back to the show. Scarpelli walks into the main central uh, control area of Deep Star 6. Van Gelder is working over by this... It's like a it's like a globe that's like in half and then you can rotate it and kind of make it's got a light on it and you can make markings. It was some kind of cool little map thing. And I think this kind of goes to what you were saying before where where you're like I don't know if their jargon is correct, but they're saying it to the point with with you know, with so much believability. Yeah. Saying it with such believability that you're like, "Okay, I buy it." Here, this thing I'm like, "I don't know what that thing is for," and they never explain it, but the way he's manipulating it, you're just like, "Okay, it's just a part of it. It's just a thing I, they need. I don't know." I think they had those on subs. Okay. Uh, but uh it's yeah, it's some sort of like I I've actually seen those before, but um but he rotates it a few times. Like he opens it up, he, ro- he, he has fun with it, it again. He definitely has like, fun with it. You're a fucking asshole. Go back to South Africa. You son of a bitch, Van Gelder. Diplomatic immunity. Sorry, <laughs> It's just been revoked, motherfucker. Uh, Scar- uh, Scarpelli tells Van Gelder that she'd like to take a look in the cavern. Van Gelder tells her there's no time. He ordered it to be collapsed. Uh, he's like, you've seen one cavern, you've seen them all. First off, every scientist will tell you that's wrong, right? He's such a nasty. Yeah. He's supposed to be a scientist? Fuck this. This guy's an idiot. And, I'm and sorry. She, and she is there. This is literally the reason she's there is yeah. to examine caverns like this. Like, that's exactly. why she's down here. Um, Scarpelli is pissed because uh, this may be her only chance to study it. Uh, she then cites three historical reports of strange sea creatures and mysterious disappearances in these waters since 1863. And, and there's yeah, three but, of them. And I think it's really cool. I like that. I don't, I don't know. I don't think they're true, but I like that. They added this like backstory about like, you know, there's been reports of strange creatures. Um, they've had divers down here before uh, in this area have gone missing. So I like that. They, they don't really, you know, go into it too much, but it's a nice little peppered in mythos you know it's funny though because when she's delivering this like she's literally just reading out of a textbook when she's delivering these lines yeah van gelder is so unamused and he's so like dismissive of her and he's so like you're talking to the wrong crowd because i could give two shits about what you're saying but i like the shirt you're wearing (laughs) yeah he's listening to her for for that reason alone because at one point he literally scoffs. He literally goes, ha, scoff, you know? Like, it's, 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 and she just, like, pauses, looks at him, and then just keeps going. And I'm like... Yeah, she just keeps going. I mean, we've all been there, folks. Yeah. On both sides of the coin, we've both known people in our lives that are really good looking that say the stupidest shit, and you're just like, okay, yeah, keep talking, because I'm not even listening to you. I'm doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rotating my globe, my half globe. <laughs> Uh, rotating something that's right van gelder ultimately (laughs) shoots her down van gelder ultimately shoots down her request in med bay dr norris is examining like a rash on snyder's back she says it'll clear up if if you keep it dry he's like how the fuck am i supposed to keep it dry we're on a a leaky tin at the bottom of the ocean i'm like again i feel your pain snyder snyder says that he wouldn't have this nasty shit if they went topside like they were supposed to Norris says they'll be going up once van gelder gets the missile site in place snyder says he had he had six months to do it 
Why does the Navy trust this guy to put the missile site down down here? He's not even in the Navy. Snyder says, he can. I can stay down here for another six months if I had to, but when you sign up for a four-month tour, it ought to be four months. A deal's a deal, right? Again, yeah. I see his point, but uh, but also too, you know, you're in the military, you know things are going to go a little bit longer, but at this point, he kind of levels with Norris. He's like, you got to get me topside, you know, like I can't, basically I can't do this anymore, you know, and, and Norris says she'll try. Yeah, it's a heartfelt, it's a heartfelt moment. And it's understandable. Two months post, post two weeks yeah. would be one thing, but two months yeah. post the deadline, that's ridiculous. I mean, and guys and gals, like you have to understand, like these people are in a can, a, a, a tin can yes. at the bottom of yes. the ocean, like Dude, you have to be so mentally strong to handle something like this. And I can only imagine what going two months over what you mentally were prepared to do, what that would do to your psyche. It'd drive you nuts. Mm -hmm. It would. It really would. Scarpelli goes into the captain's office, talk to him about the cavern. She sees a drawing his son made for him. They start talking about his kid. Uh, it's you know it's a cute little drawing. The captain said he told his son that it was beautiful down here. There's flowers and trees, and they're having a nice little moment. Scarpelli says it's it's nice. Scarpelli says it must be nice to have a family. So obviously she doesn't. Captain asks why she came to see him. She wants the captain to give her permission to go to the missile site to examine the cavern before it's blown up. The captain says if Van Gelder doesn't get these missiles in place by the end of the week, the Navy is going to shut down the whole Deep Star project. And Scarpelli says these caverns need to be checked out. This is a big mistake. Captain's like, look, I'm going to level with you. I don't care if they take a shovel to this place tomorrow. But his job is to make sure Van Gelder gets the site up and running. He's he's sorry he can't help her. Um, I should have mentioned earlier, Van Gelder did say, he's like, look, you know, if we can prove to the Navy that that this is this works, we can have an underground lab or an underwater lab to sustain life. People can stay here. Then they yeah. will build more. You will be able to come back, and you can do all the the scientific examining that you want to. Yeah, I I heard that too, and 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 I I understand his point, but um, you know, if these caves are huge, which they end up being. It's just not, it's like so stupid on his, on his part. I understand. I like, I see both sides. I yeah, see, yeah. but ultimately you're like, no dude, you don't realize like this all could collapse right now, you know, mm -hmm. and which it does. And it, which it does. <laughs> uh, cut to our favorite scene of just Scarpelli working out on the row machine. Why? Because it's awesome. <laughs> and, and I gotta be honest. It is, it is so exploitative. Yeah. They do a close-up shot of her belly. Yeah. They do a close-up shot of her chest, like the sweat going down, like for no reason, really for no reason. There, there is no, there is no reason for this scene other than this is going to get dudes rocks off. I I think that Sean Cunningham had a crush on her and he was like, I'm just going to do this for me. And I'm going to spend one day with her in the gym and film her work. Like they even do a move where the camera moves and everything. Like there's I know. three it's, it's camera very setups. It's crazy, dude. It's very, it reminds me a little bit of what uh, Olivia Munn, uh, you know, complained about with predators mm. when she did the Shane Black movie, which 
which is terrible, by yeah. the way. That movie's trash, unfortunately. Yeah, I didn't. Like I hate it. to say it because I love everybody involved in that movie, but um, <laughs> including but, yeah, the Predator, yeah, <laughs> including the Predator. But Olivia Munn, you know, apparently said like, you know, you know the whole story. People know it probably, but uh, it, it's just. But this was like what this is the eighties, mm-hmm. you know, when we could get away with this stuff. Uh, well, we that people could get away with like totally exploiting her. Who knows? You know, if we ever have her on the show, we can ask her. Who knows? Maybe she was okay with it. Uh, who yeah. Knows? I mean, I, I doubt she suggested it, but yeah, I, I, I never in my like life, I felt like I was Sean Cunningham right there, and I was like, that dude just got a huge heart on for, her, and this is his beat <laughs> material right here. Like literally, that's what I was like. That's what we're witnessing: Sean Cunningham's beat material. Coming soon to Podcasting After Dark, Beat Street. Beat Street. Beat Street. Sean, Sean Cunningham's Beat Street. Uh, <laughs> then we cut to Scarpelli in the shower washing her hair, which is weirdly not exploitative. Like, you don't see anything but, like, shoulders up. I mean, you would think he would use a body double to show something. He doesn't show a single thing. I was like, I don't understand what's happening right now, <laughs> you know? Well, for for those who are curious, she I think she did do a. I don't know if she did Playboy, but she came pretty close. Okay, okay. Some scantily clad photos. Well, this is pretty close. I mean, like like the like the funny thing is the shower stuff with her is the least risque of the entire movie. Just her walking around in her her brawlist like low cut tank top is more risque than the shower scene. Yeah, I agree. It's weird. It's really weird. Um, Cause I've never been turned on less by a shower scene before. Oh, you weren't turned on by baby blue uh, cutie McCoy with his fleece in a moment. No, that's when I got turned on buddy. Oh, really? <laughs> um, that dude's a hair bear too, by the way. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure he is, dude. Uh, but sorry. So real quick, she's washing her hair. The shower cuts off. Richardson just opens the door like a sleaze bag. But you can do that because he's got those baby blues. Baby blues. <laughs> he goes, Cutie. He goes blue. that water rationing can be a bitch. You're going to have to wait 24 hours before you finish this shower. Unless, of course, you persuade someone to use their card. And he pulls out, like, his card. And I like that. I like that they address the fact that there's, like, a water rationing thing going on. But, yep. uh, but of course, she's just smiling and, and whatever. And then she just is like, it's getting cold in here. And grabs him, takes his card, pulls him in, fully clothed, and turns it on, turns on the shower. And they start making out in the shower. It's, uh, it's kind of cute. I'm not going to lie. I think it's kind of cute. I mean, it's cute. It, it's, you know, it's sweet. Yeah. It's sweet. It's sweet. Um, back at the missile site, Hodges and Osborne are in the submersible slash tractor, um, and they are placing the explosives, the explosive package. Um, again, just like, a, so just so you guys understand, um, picture a bulldozer bottom with like the treads in the front, uh, in the front bucket. And on top of it is a traditional looking sort of submersible that can detach from it and then fly off on its own. It'll be important in a few minutes, but I very just want cool. you guys to know that. Very yeah, cool. very cool design, by the way. Very cool design. They're delivering the package. Uh, they back the tractor away from the explosives and detonate the bomb. Just then, the seafloor starts collapsing around them and they have to quickly keep backing up to get away from the implosion. Uh, Colin, basically they're like, holy shit. I mean, it's, 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 it's a cool little scene. They're moving back. They barely make it out of there. Uh, Collins sees everything that's going on. She tells them to prep 
the remote to see what they're sitting on. And the remote is like this, uh, going to be this little, it's a drone. I mean, honestly, it's, it's very 2020. Like it's like a, a drone, except it has a tether. That's kind of the only thing that makes it not look like it's modern, but otherwise the design of it honestly is very modern looking. You took the words right out of my mouth. I actually wrote that down. I'm like, oh shit, it's a drone before a drone. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And, and, and it, that it reminds was... me of, uh, in runaway, the Tom Selleck movie runaway, they have like this thing that kind of floats. Hmm. With the same kind of propeller idea. In uh, another underwater TV show, Sequest DSV, I always liked the fact that the Sequest the, had these things called, they called them whiskers, but they were just probes that kind of went around the ship and everything and kind of, you know, probed out. I like cool. that kind of shit, man. I like that kind of shit, too. Yeah. I never watched D- uh, Sequest DSV, so... That was when a lot of people were in that show. Roy I show. know. Yeah. I'm surprised I didn't. I, I didn't am... watch the Stargate TV show, either. I did not watch Stargate, but I'm not going to lie. We will probably get to Sequest DSV at some point on TV Obscura because I did very much enjoy that show. Okay. Um, <laughs> the the remote probe uh, Hodges and Osborne send, send out ventures into the cavern below, starts sending back video via a tethered cord. Um, Collins tells Hodges and Osborne to start recording what they're getting. Funny little weird little thing. I like how I liked how Hodges and Osborne were like sitting there, like I bet she's going to tell us to start recording, and then she chimes in, start recording. Like told you so, and they you know they pop in the tape and everything, and they were like, oh, Hodges made it sound like it was a big deal, but I was like, bro, you just hit record. It's not. It wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, they they didn't have to do a whole lot. It's funny yeah. they like complain. Uh, those were the guys that complained for the sake of complaining. Yes, not yeah. like Snyder. Mm-hmm. Snyder had legit gripes, but I was I was very. Um, I love their their mm-hmm. rapport back and forth. I was like, I want to see more of these guys. I actually want to see their own like uh, offshoot, you know. And so, so sadly, they're about to be gone. They're about to get yeah. got soon. And I am a hundred percent with you. Uh, their rapport was fucking fantastic. I think Hodges and Osborne are up there with Babcock and Finch. Like, like as a duo, man, they had such a great back and forth. They were fantastic together. That's quite a, quite a. What do you call it? Bold. It's a bold bold statement. statement. (laughs) Considering Babcock and Finch are now wearing t-shirts provided by tpublic.com. That's right. tpublic.com to get all your pad podcasting after dark merchandise. Great sales are always popping up. And check our Instagram because, like Zach said, we we sent uh, we sent Chris Mulkey and Peter Jason two shirts. They wore them and they took a picture. So Babcock and Finch wearing Babcock and Finch, guys. It's amazing. Pinch of Babcock. <laughs> what, what did he, he know, know, bitch? bitch? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Um, so all of a sudden, they lose the, sig- the signal, and they have to bring the tether back up, and you see that it was severed. Hodges and Osborne know that they're getting going to get into a whole boatload of trouble for losing another probe. So they kind of decide to go in after it, but without orders. They're doing it on their own. They detach the sub from the bulldozer's body and start to descend into the cave. We see some really cool shots of the cave, man. I mean, they had to build all this. Like, like a designer had to build this. It's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Again, I'm not knocking the uh, the monster effects. I'm just saying that the overall underwater effects are 10 times better yeah. than the monster effects. Yeah, they, they are much, much better. And you can tell that, like, and I like it because I was like, I'm like, oh, they're not in water, but how are they going to make it look like water? They make the ground kind of like the sand kick up and there's like yeah. particles in the air, you know, and everything. And it's just like, 
every time I watch it, I'm like, I know it's all dry, but I am completely into it. I'm immersed into the visuals of it. You're, no pun intended, immersed. I know I chose that wisely. (laughs) It's almost like I'm good at this or something. Yeah. Um, So back in the sea track, Collins and Bursiaga are speculating on how old the cavern is. Uh, How old do you think cavern is? Do you think it's old as my grandmother? (laughs) She's 984 years old in Russian years. In U.S. years, 42. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Yeah, when you're 42 in Russia, you're 900. You look like you're 900 years old. Because Chernobyl, it's one word, many syllable, but it fits. Too much uh, to quit. <laughs> Give me a Big Mac. Give me Big Mac. Da 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 da. I'm loving it. Oh, my legs will be broken soon. Don't worry, and I'll be dead. In Russia, Mac tonight is our best friend. Do you remember Mac tonight, by the way? In fact, I own, I still own PVC, the PVC figures that they gave no, out as Happy Meal. No. I still own the entire set. <laughs> Fucking Mac, Mac Tonight. tonight. <laughs> oh, for those that don't know, look up Mac Tonight McDonald's 80s. It is gold. I mean, and, and thing is, like, that was, that was, like, Taco Bell's, like, fourth meal marketing, but, like, 30 years ahead you know like yeah. hey come at nighttime right like come visit at nighttime but yeah the, the mac tonight character is, is a fucking walking nightmare i Did don't you know, know why that anyone apparently fuck- he's that character is very popular with like white supremacists and oh, like proud no. boys oh <laughs> so no we are yeah. we do not endorse that we do not endorse no. any of that <laughs> and i was all i was gonna say is do you also remember the mcblt the hot side hot and the cold side cold <laughs> But now it's over. It's over. It's white supremacists and proud boys. <laughs> yeah, apparently there it's 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 big in that community. Oh, I'm like, no. no, you do not get that. You do not get the okay sign. Mac tonight is ours. Mac tonight it's is ours, ours. motherfuckers, <laughs> scumbags. It's, it's ours. God damn it. Uh, but here's what I don't get: Collins and Bursiaga were not watching the screen that, and they, so they didn't see Hodges and Osborne. Take the the sea the the sea cat down there. They because they were at a different screen. I I thought that was kind of weird though. But I'm wondering if they could just hear the sonar beep and then the sonar went out. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. But they so they go you know after they speculate how old it is, they go back to the other monitors and they see yeah. and like oh wait a minute you know Hodges and Osborne have detached from the bulldozer you know? and so Colin says what are you guys doing? I like how Osborne says we are experiencing technical difficulty with the remote. She's like right away she's like. Did you guys lose it again? He's like, we are attempting to rectify the situation, and then he yeah, does like the, the he does like the you are you are breaking up. You know, he starts like doing the whole fake breaking up. Chevy thing. Chase does it perfectly. Yeah, in spies like us. Of course he does because Chevy Chase is perfect when he's on coke. Um, Chevy Chase pre nineteen ninety. Yes, exactly. Uh, Osborne and Hodges venture deeper into the cavern, and they eventually find the remote probe. But just when they do, they start getting a ping on their sonar. He's like, you know, that can't be. You know, we're too deep. Is it a whale? No, it's, you know, it's too too deep for that. And he's headed right for them. They start start yelling, mayday, mayday, back to the sea track. Collins asks what's wrong, but they lose contact. So Colin calls to Deep Star 6 to inform them of the situation. Uh, 
while she's calling, Snyder's kind of working on the comms. He's sort of underneath of it. Um, he's he has a little takes a little bit of time to sort of get back to the comm station. Uh, while that happens, we see a POV shot of something coming out of the cavern and then heading toward the sea track with Collins and Bursiaga inside. Cut back to inside, we see Collins and Bursiaga. Now they see a ping on their radar. Snyder finally comes back and picks up, and Colin says they've lost contact with Hodges. I'm sorry, he, Snyder was already there. He just sort of comes out from under the the desk. Um, he's like, "What's what's going on, Collins? You know that type of thing." Uh, he, he picks up, and Colin says that they've lost contact with Hodges and Osborne. Uh, Collins tells Snyder to go get the captain right away. So now Snyder takes off the headphones and leaves to go get the captain. Right, but at the same time, so we know what we know as a viewer, but. All Snyder has information-wise is that they lost contact with the the sub. That's it. So he doesn't know anything else is really happening. I, I will say though, because he calls her a bitch at yeah, this point, right? He does, and 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 which is a real dick move. Because I think honestly, if you lose, con- if you're miles under the sea and you've lost contact with your probe, uh, with two dudes in there that's a pretty serious issue. And he, yeah. And he's like, you know, Layla's busy or whatever. And she's like, go get him," And you know, kind of barks at him Cause it's like, yeah, it's very urgent. You lost contact. Maybe this has happened before. Maybe not. I, I think we, we do get the sense that it's kind of a standard thing that they lose the transmission from the towers or something. I think it's kind of standard, but you know, again, yeah, I I'm with you a hundred percent, especially since, you know, Snyder is clearly friends with the guys that are on, you know, that ship. But yeah, he, he is kind of, he is bitchy here. And this is the one time where I'm like, I'm not on team Snyder here because yeah, yeah. she wasn't, she wasn't being a bitch. First off, she didn't no. deserve that for him to say that. Oh, he said it when he took the headphones off, by the way. So she didn't technically hear it. And yeah. it's clearly an emergency. He should go running. Well, and that's a bitch move on his part too, to, to call her that without yep. her listening. Cause he's clearly afraid to do it. And yeah, I, like, look, he's burnt out. He doesn't want to do it anymore. I get that. He's frustrated, but you know, come on, nut up or shut up. Yeah, no, no. This is this is the one of the few times where I'm not on Snyder's side here, and I think I think you feel the same way. Deep Star One, Snyder Three. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, Collins Snyder and- will win that game. By the way, Snyder will be good, like six, and then you know. Yeah. No. Boom. No. There. There. There's going to be more. Snyder's winning than not. I mean, yes. until he explodes, you know. Yes. Oh, until he loses the game of life, then ultimately. Yes. <laughs> until um, he loses the game of uh, pop, goes the weasel. Losing the game of pressure. Um, Collins and Bursiaga watch the radar as whatever it is rams the sea track multiple times. Uh, Collins is yelling Mayday into the headphones, but we see no one is at the comm back at Deep Star 6. Um, the sea track keeps getting hit. Bursiaga says something is trying to push them over the edge. They get hit again, and Collins sort of like hits her head. It doesn't knock her out, but it definitely, you can tell it rings her bell a little bit, and she's a bit out of it. Then Bursiaga gets knocked out by a bunch of boxes very much a la Gorman in the APC on Aliens. Um, this oh, movie sure. has a lot of DNA from Aliens, you know. So, and it, but at the time, I mean, Aliens and Alien was were such huge movies. It's hard not to be influenced by them in this era. There's nothing wrong with that at all. If you're um, gonna borrow, borrow from the best, baby. Yep, that's right. 
That's right. The attack is over, and we see the sea tracks kind of on the edge of the cliff now. Uh, Snyder and the captain go back into the comms room and back in Deep Star 6. They can't get a hold of Collins on the sea track. Captain asks what's going on. Snyder's like, I, I don't know. Maybe the train, he's like, they lost contact with uh, the sea cat. Now I lost contact with the sea track. Maybe the uh, blown transmitter again or something. So the captain's like, all right, you know, he, he's, he's not. It's not didn't seem too urgent, but the captain's like, okay, you know, he's gonna go check it out. He takes McBride and they get into one of the the subs and they depart from the Deep Star Station down to the sea track. In the sea track, we see Collins trying to help Bursiaga. His legs are pinned and he hit his head. He's kind of like half underwater and Collins can't get him free, unfortunately. As McBride and the captain are heading down to the sea track, the captain asks McBride if he's ever going to marry Collins. McBride says that uh, she's the first woman to graduate from Navy SEALs and is on the the fast track to OCS. Uh, he's like, I would just be holding her back, you know. He's, I'd he's just be holding her back. He's like, yeah. I'm just I'm just a sub driver from New Jersey. Never had more money than what two weeks pay in my pocket. He's like, yeah. I would just be holding her back, and I'm like, you know what, McBride. You're not wrong. You probably would be holding her back. But Leyland believes in him. He's like, oh, come on, man. He's like, you know, I can help you get into uh, you know, OCS and everything, you know. So, But uh, McBride doesn't want it. He just wants to do this. And he, say, he mentions, like, till his oil business picks up. So maybe he owns, like, some oil rigs in Texas or something, but they haven't found anything yet, so he's kind of doing this. But I like that little backstory. You don't really get much more to it, but I like that there's there's something else there, you know? Yeah. You know he's going to be okay. Yeah. Just then, they too get a hit on their sonar. It's big and fast and coming for them. Captain tells McBride to stop the sub. Then they blow their ballast and drop down 100 meters to the ocean floor. The thing's still coming at them, so they decide to kill the lights. And as soon as they do, the thing starts moving away and is gone. Attracted by light. I, I, I like that. And I like that they're like, so what was that? And I like how uh, Leyland's like, or Laidlaw, he's like, we'll never know. Like, that was just some weird anomaly. Who knows? I love that shit, man. I love that shit right there. Yeah, me too. They finally get to the sea track and can't get Collins or Bursiaga on the radio. They see that the, the whole thing is, like, listing to the side. And uh, McBride has to, like, basically dock it from behind. And I like how he's like, it's going to be real tight, man. I can't even nudge it. And I'm, I like how, like, Laidlaw's like, he's like, then don't nudge it. You know, like, just don't yeah. do that, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't fuck up. Don't fuck up, my man. Don't fuck and, this up, Mitchell. And I like the little screens and everything. I like how, like, how they have to back into the to the um the locking mechanism and I, I just like how the the ship has to dock with it i thought it was well thought out and interesting you know it is even though they reused the scene from earlier in the oh, movie. oh for sure for, for like, sure whatever totally. it's all good yeah, yeah same thing come see come saw exactly the cat so they they do eventually uh connect and you know there's there's it causes the whole thing to move they almost go over the edge but they don't so they're like okay but now picture this it's not nothing's level now because they're listing over so everything's like at a 45 degree angle so you can't just walk on the ground you, it would be you'd be sliding down now i'm just trying to explain that you know yeah they got to like go they're they're use they're a basically, rope instead of being horizontal they're now vertical right there you go that's much more eloquent than i said it's um it's almost as if moments. you were a teacher at one point <laughs> <laughs> You must understand, this is like being in Chernobyl's front entrance and then suddenly having to go from top down. And Except mother... legs burn off, but my legs broken. 
and I'm going to die soon. In Mother Russia, horizontal is vertical. <laughs> In Mother Russia, when when woman says, I lay down for you, she actually stands up <laughs> and walks out the door and leaves you with nothing but bread and potato. Did someone say potato? <laughs> You're losing it, buddy. You're losing it. <laughs> the captain and McBride try to get the sea track door open, but the hatch motor is shorted out. Captain tries to rewire it. doesn't work. Uh, so they decide to use the hand crank to crank it open. They see Collins holding Bursiaga in there. She says his legs are crushed. The captain goes to get rope while McBride sort of climbs in into the sea track. Uh, the sea track moves and almost kind of goes off the edge, but, you know, it doesn't. Uh, McBride lowers, lowers himself down to help uh, Collins and Bursiaga, but we find out now Bursiaga is unfortunately dead. Give us his last, give us his last words, my friend, as he goes off to the, to the Chernobyl in the sky. Da, 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 da. I know loving it. It's, <laughs> I got, I did not get, I did not get the Big Macs. I did not get large fry. I did not get quarter powder with cheeses i got nothing as as they say in america i got a big dollop of shit on me and this does not feel good it's not even hot it's a cleveland steamer minus the cleveland and the steam but like he said earlier at least he got to go home now at least i get to go home to chernobyl <laughs> As a ghost. Have you been there? It's not It's not a walk in the park. In fact, your body burns up the moment you step foot on it. Side note, did you ever watch the HBO Chernobyl miniseries? Yeah. I heard it was rough. horrifying. It's horrifying. That story is such a sad story. It is so horrible. Wow. Uh, it's worth watching, though. Yeah, I heard. It's, no, I heard it's fucking awesome, but I heard... And I heard it's almost filmed like a monster movie, but like the yeah. radiation is sort of the monster, obviously. Oh, yeah, dude. It's brutal. That year, what was that? Like 86. It might have been 86. I remember that, That was that, a rough year. Mm -hmm. The Challenger exploded. Oh, wait. So was it the same year? Chern Chernobyl and the Challenger yep. were the same year? Holy Chernobyl shit. Chernobyl was like February, and the Challenger was like April. It I happened like... Because we were in school. I remember when the Challenger, we were all watching it. You and I were the perfect age for that. Dude, I remember being in fourth grade and the the teacher, my teacher was an idiot. She wheels out the big cart with the TV the, and the yep. on it, you know. <laughs> it's like scream, uh, screeching. Shuttle explodes. What does she do? Walks over to the TV. She just turns it off. And she goes, okay, open up your books. Like doesn't even acknowledge what had just happened. And we're sitting around going, what what just happened so so the rest of the day my teacher actually talked to us about it so she's like that's what, what you, a teacher should do she was like what do you guys think happened and we, we were yeah. throwing out ideas and stuff and she made it like very engaging to the point where i kind of more remember that engagement like i remember that engagement more than i remember the event happening so i think i think she did a good damn job of shielding us from the trauma of that yeah mine was just like well, bottling it up, yep. probably like she did with her ex-husbands. She's like, she's like, well, we're, I, I'm not getting paid enough to deal with this, so <laughs> moving on. You guys can all deal with that trauma later. Oh, man. Oh, the rug that I pushed it under? Yeah, it's ripping at the seams, but it's it's still holding everything in. It's going to hold everything in until I die. Until I die. <sighs> I have a bottle of rage inside. You don't even know. Yep. 
Exactly. Oh, oh, Bursiaga is gone. So. Oh, and I love that guy. I do too. I love that guy. I, love I know hate, I'm doing hate. a terrible Russian impression, but I love that dude. He's such so good. And like every relationship, they kill off. Every time someone dies in this, you're like, oh, but I like that person. Oh, I, but I like that person. Because we like every single Everybody. fucking person in this movie. And that, honestly, that really says a lot, truthfully. Yeah. McBride helps Collins up the rope. Oh, but right, but by the way, so we're starting to see that the gears are starting to get to move and get stripped, um, or they're going to eventually the, get stripped. By the way, uh, the gears on a device that's probably never been used once. Yeah, and so, or I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, those, well, I think those gears, gears are used. They just had to crank it by hand versus oh, the, ma- the the machine doing it. But yeah, it I is, know. It is on par. It is on par with um, the carabiner in Cliffhanger, mm. in the opening of Cliffhanger yeah. that starts to crumble. Yeah, and you're just I know like, what you mean. oh my gosh, this is going to be bad. You yeah. know, it's going to be bad. Who's going to be the one to die? Because someone's going to die. And like you mentioned earlier, how Sean Cunningham is just great at setting up suspense like this. So you see, we as we at this point know that the gears are going to break and it, the door's going to shut. So Collins goes through. We're all waiting, like, oh my god. Then fucking McBride goes through, and of course, like like a good captain. Laidlaw is on the inside and he's helping them through. He grabs himself. He hoists himself halfway through and the fucking gear breaks, comes right down on him. Great sound design because you hear a crunch that is a little bit subtle. I I like that they didn't make the crunch like higher than him screaming. But man, when you hear that crunch, you're like, oh my God, you fucking feel it. And this... This I do kind of get the feeling that that uh, Richard Stanley kind of got this for hardware when that when the one guy gets cut in half by the door. Do you remember that? Oh, I do. Yeah. 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 Kind of. I felt like this. I felt like these were always kind of similar and akin together. You know. Um, I can see that. But Laidlaw, unfortunately, so. Oh man, it's brutal though because when when it does happen, it's like, first of all. The one guy you know who has kids. Yeah, of course, of course. So the, you know, it's it's even worse. Um, actually, up and up until this point, he's the one you know the most mm-hmm. of backstory wise, and so you have like the most invested into his character. So of course, yeah, it makes sense that they would kill this guy off. And such a horrible. It's so horrible, but in a way, it's so. Oh, I mean, it keeps going. So yeah, I'll yeah. Let you keep. Well, this is only the beginning. We're not done yet. <laughs> so, I mean, he's screaming. Obviously, McBride's trying to help him. He says, I mean, Laidlaw says, my back is broken. Go. Fucking leave me. That's it. But, of course, McBride won't. Um, we find out later that McBride and Laidlaw are kind of closer together than other people are. Like, they have, like, this backstory, this history, which I well, love. Yeah, like a... Yeah, they said that. I think it's they said it earlier in the movie. He's like, he kind of looks at him like a father figure because, because Collins is like, "What do you want to? What are you gonna do when you go topside?" And he goes, "Oh, I think I'm gonna go stay with Laidlaw and his family, for a bit." And uh, and then that's when it turns into the. That's when like, why didn't you ever marry? Cause, yeah, because because yeah. he's like, you know, I really lo- that guy's that guy's got everything. He's got it. That, that's right. They say he's got everything or something to that. Yeah, I'm because he's got be- beautiful family, beautiful kids, beautiful life to go back to, and now his back is broken and he has massive internal bleeding. Yeah. Uh, so his son's gonna his son's gonna have nightmares for the rest of his life, wondering it, what happened to his dad. Never gonna uh, want to go in the water. Wife's gonna be a widow. Yep. 
Uh, the house is gonna they're gonna go bankrupt because they don't have enough money i would hope i would hope that they would get (laughs) enough stipend after uh you know if he died i imagine that the insurance policy on this was massive oh i'm just exaggerating (laughs) and i know you are but now i just i started thinking i was like i was like i bet you his family actually got a shit ton of money for this so he's so he's screaming mcbride's trying to help him obviously colin's trying to help him and Laidlaw decides to hit the flood button. He's like, fuck it. You know, they're not going to leave without me. So I'm going to just fucking make it so they have to leave. leave. Make them leave, essentially. So he floods the whole passage. We get a long scene of of McBride trying to, underwater, trying to pull him out. And I like how long McBride can hold his breath for because he's fucking, he's in the Navy. You know, he works in a sub. He should be able to. So, and, and so he's trying to get him out. And eventually he just can't. He has to give up. And him and Collins go back into the sub and they are just so clearly rattled. I mean, they they this mission started with four people and now it's leaving with two, you know. Bursiaga they had and the fact that they had to leave Bursiaga and Laidlaw back down on the ocean floor there is is another thing that's very, very fucking tough. Yeah, it's super traumatic. It really is. I remember the the older you get the more life, um, you know, the more shits happen to you in your life and in life experiences. And so the more heartfelt you, hopefully you're more empathetic, the yeah. older you get and you watch this and you're just like, Oh man, this is like, fuck all four of these people are now dead and they all are relatively likable people. Yeah. You yeah. know? Oh man, it's terrible. It's terrible. And even though I will say Tom Bray's, uh, giant vagina chin uh that's not doing many favors his quaker beard that he's yeah. got going on yeah i didn't not get doing that many favors he, he he had the whole like you shave your mustache but then you keep everything else there and i was like that's ah, not working for you buddy it's not it's not a good look i'm not a fan of that one and i'm also not a fan of the shave your face but you leave your neck going Oh God, no! Yeah, no, no. That's the worst. That's even worse than this one. Yeah, I know what yeah. you mean. You shave your face, but you leave the neck hair. That is disgusting. <laughs> I don't get it, man. I don't get it. It's fucking disgusting is what it is. <laughs> I have strong feelings on that look. That's for I sure. I have strong feelings on facial hair because I, I'm a pro, I, I take a lot of time. So you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I don't pull a Hollywood Hulk Hogan, but I do little. Darkening on my beard because it's very gray at this point. Yeah, buddy, you have so much gray now. It's wild. <laughs> it's wild. I know it's crazy. I go to get my hair cut. I'm like, what's this? What's this? All gray. Is that me? Is that from me? <laughs> hey, but at least it's there, bud. At least it's all still there. It's all still there, and trust me, it's not the only thing that's gray. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm talking to... about my chest. I'm oh, my okay. Chest. My pubes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, hey, back in Deep Star Six, did you get the feeling that Matt McCoy's reaction to them getting there was a little off? Like he was like, "Hey guys, I'm so happy you're back." It's like, do they? Did, I almost almost didn't understand. Like, did he not know that Laidlaw was dead? Did you did, did you pick up on any of that? Well, I, I feel like he's super awkward. Okay, uh, because when he comes in to talk to, yeah, which in that scene will come in a little happen. bit, and and that's appropriate, and I like I like that scene, but this scene right here. He, it just didn't feel like he was it didn't feel like Sean Cunningham took him aside and told him what happened prior you know what I mean like he just sort of handled the the thing on his own I, I don't know it felt weird it did it did feel weird well Matt, Matt McCoy though honestly he, he kind of rides the same note throughout the entire movie up until 
you know, his final scene. Up until he's screaming, let me out of here, and then gets eaten in half. Yeah. So, again, Gutenberg, he's not <laughs> cute, cute, cutie bloody, cute blue eyes, cutie Those blue eyes. Piercing yes. blue eyes. Oh, with his Sierra Pacific fleece. <laughs> he loves that fucking fleece, man. And his Mervyn's um, tapered jeans. Uh, basically, they, they come back. They help Collins into medical bay. Uh, here we go. The scene you're talking about. Uh, McBride gets cleaned up. Richards comes in. I love this scene very much. I do. I love this scene, too. I just want to rewind really quick yeah, before yeah, you yeah, get yeah, into sorry, it. Yeah. When Collins, when they're, when, when. McBride's with Collins and they're getting going on their way back to the Deep Star and he takes his wet sweater yes, yes. and he wraps his wet sweater around her to keep her warm. They don't have towels on the yeah, thing. I know. I know. And my no, not even a towel. Like it should be one of those you see like paramedics have it those the plastic things. Yeah, like, whatever. The silver yeah, blankets. that thing. They, that thing. They did. They have a survival kit in that sub. Yeah. And it's he, hanging up. And he gives her his wet waterlogged like but of course it's not that wet when you when you see it right there you know but i'm like you were just underwater that thing is not gonna keep her warm at all because it's, it's fucking waterlogged it's like hey come on this is good for you it smells like me yeah yeah it enjoy it smells, it. Like, it smells like me in wet body hair <laughs> so so much wet body hair yeah anyways back to the, the emotional scene yes back, back to the the very good scene with matt mccoy so he he comes in um and he says uh he goes I, you know he says to mcbride he goes i know you and the captain were close and he well first off he's like how are you feeling and you know mcbride sort of looks at him he's like i know that was a stupid question and then he asks him this and he's like look i just i really just wanted to say i like the captain i i just came down here to say that yeah, i thought that really this sweet. dialogue i thought that this delivery by matt mccoy was so honest i felt like this was so realistic and honest and i just i liked it i liked the 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 camaraderie between the two i agree yeah no i, I loved it too it's, it's, and then they hug each other, and it's an emotional moment. I, I write that. I write that down. They they hug it out. <laughs> it's great. They hug it out. It's great. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Well, hello there, little black kitties of the night. Come and join me, your host, Deadly Debbie, as we go through my creepy files and listen to real-life, strange-but-true stories from people all over the world. Explore the weird and wonderful in my weekly podcast with Deadly Debbie's Creepy Files. And now, back to the show. Back in Med Bay, Collins is telling Scarpelli and Dr. Norris what happened. She says that Hodges and Osborne saw something in the cave, then they were screaming, and then they were gone. Uh, then the sonar picked up on something coming from the cavern right before the sea track was attacked. Uh, something very big and fast. Scarpelli asks if their work lights were on the sea track, and she says yes. Scarpelli asks if Collins has heard of photomigration, a theory of aggressive animal behavior associated with light. 
Um, kind of that's how it far goes right there, because just then McBride comes in and hands a paper to Norris. Uh, apparently it's from Topside. Uh, Topside has approved her request for, for extraction. They're getting out of there. She goes, they can start decom. He says they can start decompressing as soon as she gives the order. So by the way, they don't really address it, but now Norris is by chain of command in charge. And I like that. I like that it's not Van Gelder. I like that it's Norris, and I like that Norris is a female. I think this, we said it earlier in, in the review, but this movie does a good job of making its female character strong. Yeah, look, clearly there it was not a balance in Hollywood for, for, for decades upon decades for uh, of proper representation. However, there were movies, are movies, where it's more balanced than not. And this is one of those movies, you know? I mean, don't give me that Wonder Woman 84 shit. That movie was a piece of dog crap. And it's like, but, but oh, okay, great. But we've got fair representation in that movie. No, we don't. We got two female characters in that. This has three positive female role models who, you know, who are strong, intelligent, and, and, and dare I say, smarter than the dudes in this, you know? And more take charge and more level-headed, you know, Norris, Norris is the most level-headed out of everybody. Yeah. She never loses her cool once. No, no. she's for, and, and she goes out like a motherfucking champ. Dare, um, yeah, dare I say the hero of the film in yeah, some ways. Yeah. And to your point, Adam and I were doing an episode of Cartwright this week, and it's season six. It's, uh, it's like episode eight or something. And Kramer is dating a, another waitress, like this waitress lady. And, and, and he talks about her being a full-figured gal. And there's a couple scenes where, like, she's hungry because he doesn't have a refrigerator. It's it's whatever. So you're, you're expecting her to be fat, right? When you actually see the actress who, who, who you know, plays the character, she's a normal human woman. Like, like just a normal woman and they, in the entire episode, talk about how she's full figured and everything. And you realize like, this is like 1994 and you're like, holy shit. Like no wonder like, like girls and women have, have body issues growing up with the way Hollywood totally. tells them, you know, that if you're not a size zero, then you're full figured. I mean. Seriously, guys, this lady isn't even remotely overweight. The only thing she's not is anorexic, so she's full yeah. figured. It's it's appalling. Yeah, and look, in 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 all uh, full disclosure, you know, if one of the dudes in this movie was like uh, a built like a brick shit house, we'd probably be you know marveling at his physique as well, like we did with Neo Peebles. So I know. I'm just saying. It's fair game. And we probably have in previous movies. I'm sure we did with, uh, you know, that was one of the shining lights in Cyborg was Van Damme. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. so there Best you go. Parts. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and if I, I, any opportunity for me to throw that movie under the bus, I will always gladly take. Uh, Deep Star Sticks is definitely no Cyborg. And any opportunity to back you up on that one, buddy, I'll take it as well because hey, we got to have at least Cyborg. one. <laughs> we we got to have one. We got to have one movie that w- that we've reviewed that we don't like. And by the way, we've mentioned it before, but we do at some point. Um, I mean, we're barreling to the end of season two, so hopefully in season three of Podcasting After Dark, aka Year Three, we got to tackle a, a JCVD movie that we like. And well, I'm, look, I, I I know me personally, Corey, I'm waiting for Hard Target for an awesome blu-ray hard target and uh i'm 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 imagining you're maybe feeling the same way with blood sport 
they never released a Bloodsport Blu-ray. Yeah, it's not out there. Uh, if if there is, it's it's bare bones. So yeah, that's for one. And for two, I know there's been a German director's cut of Hard Target that's supposed to be pretty awesome. I've yeah. never seen it. I've only heard about it. So I gotta think Shout Factory because they release a lot of Universal movies. Is it Shout Factory that does Universal? Well, I mean, they did. I mean, they did Cyborg. So you know, I I hope but that was that canon they- though. Yeah, that saying, yeah that was canon, but I'm saying Shot Factory, yeah, released Cyborg being JCVD, but yeah, it, that's think, canon versus. Yeah, they can get their rights of Universal. I gotta, I gotta think that Shout is Factory's doing a, a hard target, you know. So if they get a their hands on a director's cut of Hard Target, no doubt. Yeah, no, no, we're, we're pre-ordering that. I'm bringing that one to the table, no doubt. Like I yeah. love Hard Target so much. Yeah, I, I mean that that kind of movie. That movie's perfect. Um, you know, the Bloodsport. Bloodsport's my favorite all time of JCVD. But uh, but I, I can I can go anything pre pre Nowhere to Run. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I, I love Bloodsport too, man. A, a, AKA I'm, Mortal Kombat the movie, <laughs> or AKA Street Fighter the movie. It's what Street Fighter should have been. You dude, know, Bloodsport is the shit. Bloodsport's is fucking great. awesome. Bill Dukes, like, put up your Dukes. Okay, USA. <laughs> so McBride says they can start decompressing as soon as she gives the order. Like I said, Norris is now in charge. Uh, Dr. Norris tells Scarpelli to tell Snyder to start securing the station and for Richardson to get the sub ready. They're going home, and then Scarpelli leaves the med bay. Uh, Dr. Norris checks checks Colin's heart with, like, a sonar. Ultrasound. Ultrasound. There you go. I, I sat here for five minutes trying to figure out what to write, and I just wrote sonar thing. And, yeah, you just you, you fixed it in two seconds, so thank you. Because you don't have a kid, and you never had a hernia where the doctor had to do an ultrasound on you. And, and oh, so, okay, so they do that on, on men as well. So it's like it's this really little weird. handheld yeah. uh, uh, ultrasound thing. So it's on her heart, and she's, you know, she can hear the heart, and then she moves it down a little bit, and you hear another heartbeat. Uh-oh, right? Uh-oh, she's pregnant. So, by the um, way, that's a sexy shot too, by the way. I know. I, I liked it too. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you don't see anything. Again, you don't see any nudity in this movie, but this movie is very horny and very sexy. <laughs> it's I don't know why. Deep Star 6, dot, dot, dot. It's very horny and it's very sexy. <laughs> Uh, but we, we you can tell by Colin's face that she already knew this, but McBride did not. So he's like, what, what what's happening? Norris leaves them alone to talk. I'm- it's funny, though, because she's like, I'm going to go. Yeah, she's like, I'm going to leave. <laughs> it's really funny that the, that moment, I wrote it down, because she's like, oh, I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm exit stage left. <laughs> uh, they have a little discussion about it, you know, about the about the kid and everything. And, you know, of course, like Collins is like, or McBride's mad that she wasn't going to tell him. And she's like, you never, you said you were never going to settle down. Like, what was I supposed to do? And. When I was younger, I would have sided with McBride. But now that I'm older, I'm like, yeah, no, I get Collins's point of view. You've made it loud and clear that you didn't want to settle down. I get Collins here, you know? And I do like this. McBride says, uh, if it's a boy, how about we name it after the captain? And she says, Philip Laidlaw McBride. Sounds great. That's a great That's a badass name. name. Yeah. Snyder interrupts the moment to tell them that Norris wants them on deck now. So here's a writing thing. <laughs> Earlier, you know, uh, uh, Van Gelder's like, hey, 
Snyder, we need you now. But yet Van Gelder was just talking to Collins like two seconds ago. And here, like Norris, like I don't think Norris would have just left and then told Snyder to go back in and get them. Like that's a writing thing. That's a little bit of a wonky writing thing. It is, and, and Snyder's reaction is like, yeah. sorry to break up the little love session here. And he's like all <laughs> smiling, and he's like, it's almost like he's hip to it. And, he's, and it's weird because it's almost like he's happy for them when the whole time he's been antagonistic against them. But you got to imagine, at one point they might have been friends, right? Like they all got along probably at the beginning of this, or you know, tenureship at the bottom of the ocean. They all got along probably well at the beginning, right? I think he's always been a dick. the butt of jokes. Yeah, and that's probably. that's the feeling I get. And then he and but he just wants to be included, and uh, and he's but he's never included. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think Poor you're guy. right. On the command deck, Norris is getting things in order. Uh, Richardson pops in and says the sub is ready to go. Norris says to tell everyone to pack their gear and stand by for decompression. Decompression is going to be a word we're going to be talking about a lot in the next half of this movie. Yep. Uh, Richardson's leaves the room as Van Gelder enters. Van Gelder asks what Norris plans to do about the missile sled. She isn't going to do anything. She says uh, she received extraction orders and the Navy can send a recovery team later. Van Gelder asks her to at least secure the sled before they leave. Norris asks what asks Snyder's what the procedure for securing the sled is. Snyder says uh, the captain is the only one that can give orders pertaining to the missiles. Um, she says it's not. And he says it, I like this too. It's not like anyone can swim down here and steal them. Uh, Norris says decompression is postponed until the sled is secure. So now, of course, Snyder's like in a huff. Uh, Van Gelder asks Snyder if he needs help, but Snyder says he can handle it. Van Gelder leaves. Snyder begins the process. So he has to secure the ship, so, so the, secure the missiles. When I was younger, I didn't quite understand what, what was going on here, what, what was happening. He goes and enters a command into the computer and says they are abandoning the site. They need to secure the missiles. The computer gives him three choices. It's like, okay, are you abandoning because A, repair or removal of missiles? Are you abandoning because B, uh, natural forces? Or are you abandoning to to aggression? Snyder calls Collins and asks if that thing that attacked them was a natural force or aggressive. Collins is like, I don't know. It it was aggressive, you know? Like, she kind of is a little bit dismissive. Dr. Norris chimes in. She's like, just get it done, Snyder. Okay, back to Team Snyder. He's trying to do his fucking job right here. That's it. That's all he's trying to do. But Van Gelder did give him the offer to help, and he probably should have taken him up on it. I don't know. I don't think so. He's following I mean, procedure. I, I, He's following procedure 100% right here. Why would he think that there would be a question that he couldn't answer come up? I get that, but Van Gelder knew that that, that would automatically detonate the bombs, which, which Snyder oh, didn't know. Okay, okay. back to you. I'm now back on your side of things. I think you're correct, um, because if Van Gelder did design the station, he would know that one of those options would be to blow it up, and he probably wouldn't trust Snyder to make that decision. You are correct. I'm with you on that now. But... <laughs> but Snyder he did follow procedure. <laughs> did do what he was supposed to do technically. Yes, exactly. So Snyder's like, all right, well, basically, like, fuck me in the ass, right? He like even says, like, fuck me all to hell, right? And yeah. uh, so he selects C, 
abandoned due to aggression. This brings up an emergency detonation command screen. Uh, cut to it's like, okay, I guess we're detonating. I know, and, and I like how Jeez. Snyder's like, all right, I'm just gonna follow my my my, my shit, man. Uh, cut to Richardson. Scarpelli and McBride in the mess hall talking about what they're going to do when they get topside. Again, there's that trope. What are you going to do when you get topside? If you say that, you're going to die. (laughs) Um, Collins and Norris enter the mess hall as well. In the command center, Snyder is following procedure, and he kind of pulls out this briefcase thing uh, and sets the bombs to remote detonate, and he detonates them. Blows the nukes. We get a really yep. cool shot of, uh, and you actually really get now at this point. It's the only time you really get to see the distance between Deep Star Six and the the sea, the, like the missile sled and the sea track and everything, because it's way off in the distance. But it blows up and it and it nukes. I mean, it, it's everything you think it's going to look like, and it looks looks really fucking good, dude. You're right, yeah. man. Like like, it's weird because everyone thinks about the monster in this movie, but honestly, like the miniatures and stuff are the real the real stars of this show. Yeah. And we're, we're like 47 minutes into the movie at this point, a movie that's a little over 90 minutes in, in length. And if you cut out the opening credits, it's really a 90 minute movie. Um, so we're like more than three, more than three quarters of the way into the movie. And we haven't really seen the monster yet. So up until this point, it's not really a monster movie. It is in the one sense because it, it knocks the ship and there's a little bit of that, but they never show the monster. You know, it, it's it's more like real life drama. Um, shit, if there was a shark, would you say it was a, a monster movie? No, you'd yeah. say it was a shark movie. Yeah. You know, this is an amphibious creature that's been, you know, that they never really go into. But we haven't seen the monster at this point. So up until this point, like, it's more of a natural disaster movie at this point. Yeah, a natural disaster movie. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, it's an arthropod is what, what the creature is here. Yes. Yes. Which they have those at, yeah. you know, yeah, the, and, the and, museums. And I get it. Like, I totally get why this was the creature design. Because if you go look at it, like, if you even go look at a fucking lobster and you said, hey, what, like, how terrifying would this thing be if we blew it up like 10 times the size of you think? Yeah, it would be all of those creatures are fucking terrifying. This this falls in the category of like giant spider movies. You know, it's like they take a small creature and they make it big and it's fucking terrifying. Dude, yeah, silverfish are creepy. Yeah, they silverfish are. Silverfish are gross and creepy. I, I, and- I mean, as someone who used to play in the creek and everything, I know what silverfish are. I mean, silverfish are everywhere in our apartment, unfortunately. But. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and cockroaches uh, and rats. and um, We live in a dump, is what I'm saying. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we live in Chernobyl. At this point, Deep Star 6 starts shaking. Everyone's like, what, what, what? What's going on here? Everyone, including Van Geller, run into the command room with Snyder. Van Gelder's like, what the hell did you do? You know, Snyder's like, Snyder says he detonated the missile sled according to procedure. Van Gelder says that Snyder just signed their death warrants. He said um, he checks the sonar and there's a giant concussive blast heading right for them. Uh, one of the coolest things I think that in in Pacific Rim, the movie, um, at the, in the final act, uh, they are at the like the seabed, the floor of the of the ocean, and one of the the Jaegers explodes with a nuclear reactor. It forces all the water away for a few minutes, and so like the other Jaeger, 
the um, um, Gypsy Danger is still like in there, but now it's on the bottom of the ocean, but it's all dry because the explosion pushed everything away and then it all comes collapsing back in. But here, it's the same thing. You just don't see it as CGI heavy. You know, you don't see the effect, but I will say I am always a sucker for seeing things on sonar like, like, you can hear it coming, you can see it coming, but you don't actually have to show any, like, effects and everything. Yeah, I am always a sucker for the sonar uh, approach. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's very, it creates great tension. It does. It does. So, the blast hits them, everyone goes flying, no one is terribly hurt or dead, but Deep Star 6 is really fucked up. Things are exploding, fires, uh, all kinds of shit. Walls start caving in from the pressure. Uh, Richardson and McBride have to rush in and kind of create set up this jack system for your car but they they have to set it up in the middle of like a of a hallway where where it's all, it's starting to collapse and it keeps it from collapsing it's it's a fun little scene um and they all worked as a team to kind of avert disaster back in the command room snyder norris and van gelder are running diagnostics on deep star six uh crew quarters are submerged and sealed they lost most of their oxygen and the main lines to the decompression bay are ruptured they can't leave unless these are fixed it gets worse though the cooling primary to the reactor was destroyed and the whole place is going to blow up in a a few hours again another callback to aliens this is very much aliens Snyder asks why they don't just uh, get in the escape pod and leave. Nora says that they can't without decompressing. They'll die in the ascent. That's not something uh, Snyder would ask. I think he would know that, but that's for the audience to know. Richardson, who's pissed, says at least Snyder will get his name in the Guinness Book of World Records, causing two nuclear explosions in one afternoon has to be a record. <laughs> Snyder gets pissed and is, uh, he says he's followed procedure. He's really pissed about that. Uh, Colin says they may be able to run a bypass on the main lines to the decompression bay so that they can seal the rupture and then decompress. It's great tension, and then there's, like, relief at the same time. It's mm-hmm. great. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's great. We get some scenes of everyone sort of fixing things and, and, you know, repairing pipes and whatnot. Down in the sub bay, or kind of the decompression bay, um, Scarpelli is getting Richardson into the dive suit, into the deep dive suit. Uh, and this is what we mentioned. I mean, Richardson's fucking wearing, like, his fucking jeans and his fleece, and he's getting in this. It's like, it's so tight. Like, it's not It's not even built for that. Like, you have to wear, like, like a, a wetsuit just to get wetsuit. in there, dude. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's really weird. It, it's like, come on, dude. You take off your Montgomery Ward's clothes and, you know, put a fucking wetsuit on. Yeah. Like, how hard is that? They could have got a wetsuit. Well, it makes no sense. What's funny, if you look at behind the scenes uh, uh, pictures of this, oh, you see wetsuits? you see Greg, uh, Greg, Greg Nicotero and the rest of his crew working with the monster and they're all in wetsuits. It's like fucking borrow just one of theirs. It's crazy, man. It's fucking it's crazy. It's not. You know, uh, the Abyss was oil rig workers, so these are guys that, but still. These are no. Navy people. These are Navy. These are like, like they, they, they have to have some sort of regulation wetsuits. They have to. You don't get in that big getup without a wetsuit on. You don't. You really don't. And then fucking leaves, Levi's 501 tapered jeans. <laughs> Your white Reeboks. I do not miss 80s men's jeans that's oh for dude sure. late 80s Oof. so oh my god so terrible i hate i middle school 
style. Did you was, roll your bottoms up? Did you roll the cuffs up? When I you did, were, and yeah, they'd always did. come undone. Yeah. And I'm I'm not gonna repeat what people said to me. You know, I got. But this is a broken record with me. I got picked on so so much for the stupidest shit. But my mom, we were we were, we didn't have a lot of money, and my mom got a Levi um, allotment from her work. And so what she'd do is she'd trade them in at the um, uh, local Mervins and and get me jeans mm. for school, you know? So she'd get like 10 pairs of jeans, two weeks worth of jeans, and she'd take five of them so I could get new jeans. But then they started at requiring a receipt. And so she's like, just wear these. They're, they'll be fine. I'm like, no, mom, I can't. Because they're like, they're, they're women's jeans, you know? Yeah. I was like wearing mom jeans. Yeah. And man, I'm like, this is like, come on. So I'm looking at, you know, Matt McCoy, and I'm just like, dude, that's bringing back some bad memories to me right now. <laughs> oh, man. You're looking at Matt McCoy. I'm looking at you. I'm watching another layer of the onion peel away for oh, me. It's so deep. <laughs> it's getting so deeper, deeper. <laughs> my boy Dean, my boy Dean who watches, and he always he always messages me right after the episode drops to, like, you know, sh- drop some knowledge or something, <sighs> something fun, some fun facts or talk about the show or something. And he's like, man, he's like, I, I so I feel so bad that we didn't hang out more in high. I feel so bad that that we didn't hang out more in high school. We would have been so such good friends. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, what are you gonna do, dude? <laughs> good too. <laughs> we're, we're good now. <laughs> it's all good now, but damn, dude. I, and, and by the way, what's up, Dean? <laughs> what's up, Dean? Whoop, whoop. Oh, Monta Vista in the house. Monta Vista. No, I, I, school sucked. Uh, I went to E. Brook Lee Middle School in Montgomery County, Maryland, and yeah, yeah. Oh, that was yeah. Okay, my middle school was Kennedy Junior High. Oh, it's know. funny because um, E. Brook Lee, I would have fed into Kennedy High School, but I actually moved and went to Sherwood High School instead, where Sean Whalen went. Hey, hey, soon to be on our podcast, yep. Sean Whalen. Yeah, we have that interview in the can, so that will be coming soon. Interviews after dark. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to our Patreon, please consider it because the interviews are really good and there's interviews that you won't hear. Our interview style is so different. Yeah. We don't, we don't do like boiler point, like hit these points or whatever. We have conversations and, uh, we talk and whatever information we can sort of get out of them is awesome because I think sometimes we get information out of these people that, they probably weren't prepared to sort of talk about, you know? And yeah. I think the, the Thomas G. Waits interview was very, very intimate and personal. And uh, that one's actually up on the free feed. So check that one out. And yeah, please uh, check out our Patreon as well. Like I said, we have a bunch of great content over there. Peter, Peter Jason, for one, it was like, oh, I love being on your show, guys, because you didn't ask me the same questions yeah. 30 times. Man, Peter Jason, I, the you only thing I can say, it was a hoot. That was Peter Jason, my man. I mean, back to back, we had like that William Sandler. William William Sadler, nicest fucking guy in the world. Sean Whalen, super fucking cool. Peter Jason, a goddamn hoot. These people are amazing people. And this month, we are going to be dropping our Scott Valentine interview, and that will be great interview. uh, That will be on Patreon exclusive as well. And guys, I mean. I'm now a broken record because he was a nice fucking guy too. He, I don't know who was nicer, William Sadler, Mark Ralston, or Scott, Scott Valentine. Those were three of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Peter Jason, just as nice, but Peter Jason was a hoot. He was so much fun. It's great. It's great. Oh God. I love that interview, man. I was, Oh God, that was a great interview. 
All right, all right. Let's get back to Deep Deep Star Six. Come on, hey, come on, Deep Star, dude. I haven't said Deep Space Nine once. You got to give me props for that because I've I thought I was gonna say it a million times this entire show. What, what's Deep Space Nine? <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Scarpelli is helping Richardson get into his deep dive suit. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. Um. He, he, he has to go outside and repair one of the lines, basically. That's what he has to do. They get Richard suited up, and he gets into the airlock. Uh, just so you guys know, the airlock goes down, so he kind of has to go down like a, a shaft. I didn't want to say shaft, but I didn't know how not to say shaft. So he goes If you've down. ever watched the uh, Octonauts, you know what it is. <clears throat> Moving on. So, Richard... <laughs> Richard Octonauts, <laughs> let's do this. Richard descends outside Deep Star 6 and starts making his way to the damaged line. As Richard is rep- as Richardson is repairing the line, he starts screaming and he says he sees something. The camera cuts out, cuts to static. The camera inside, they're watching his camera, cuts to static. Uh, they tell Richardson to get back to the airlock. Uh, they start bringing him up through the airlock and it's it's kind of like open on the top collins attaches the chain to the top of richardson's diving suit and starts pulling you know the the winch starts pulling it up i like this a lot as it's coming up you see richardson's face he's like in there screaming but you can't hear him because like all the comms have been cut and the camera and everything but i like the fact that like he's screaming let me out of here give me the fuck out of here and like but you know and you can't no one can hear him but you can see him screaming and i like that because like i do like it because the entire movie like you said he's kind of goofy and everything until this moment i think matt mccoy sells the terror on his face Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's creepy as shit. It is. It what's is. What's about to happen next? Yeah. Yes. What's about to hap- happen next is fucking awesome. Yeah. As they pull the suit up, Snyder yells that something's in the airlock. Uh, just then, so Richards Richardson's he's still in a suit, but he's kind of like he's fully out of the water now, but he's still dangling by the the chain, right? Just then, a huge, the, the monster, the huge monster, shoots up from the airlock, bites him, basically eats his lower half, and then bites him at the middle. He's screaming, and it just bites him in half, and it's fucking awesome because the the suit is still on this like mechanical winch system, and you can tell it's all like sort of like automated. So he. So his upper half is now going through and moving through the, the room across the winch system, but it's all gored and everything because half of Ugh. him is like eaten in half. And I do think that there might have been a scene missing, you know, of actually seeing him get cut in half. But ultimately, I think this whole scene is very effective. And I do think it's what everybody fucking remembers about this movie. Oh, yeah. It's iconic. For it's sure. it's the cover for the it's the movie poster too you know yeah. it's it's the it's the same suit that you see on the movie poster um ripped in half but you know the poster doesn't have any of the gore but this is sean cunningham so there is some good gore like hanging out of him you know oh yeah and this and this is the start of quite a few good gory scenes coming yeah. up yeah 
And it's funny because, like, I mean, it's it's crazy because, I mean, Scarpelli is screaming. Obviously, she cares. She loves Rich. You know, she likes him, at least. They had an intimate relationship. But, like, his fucking upper body is now moving through the room. And she's screaming. It detaches from the fucking, like, the chain. And now it's just bobbing there. I'm like, I'm like this is... This is fucking awesome. I love this shit. I think what makes it more dramatic too is you don't see uh, Richardson's face. Yeah, and so like you, you just... have to put that in there. You, as the viewer, have to mentally put that in there. Yeah, which is even harder to imagine. Exactly. Yep, I'm well, with you. I think that actually really, really helps. More grotesque. It. Yep. Uh, Van. So at the same time as everything, so as everything, like as the explosion sort of happens, as he gets ripped in half, uh, everyone sort of flies back. Uh, Van Gelder sort of hits his head and he's bleeding. Uh, Norris helps him up and up the ladder and out the room. Uh, Snyder leaves his his station and sort of follows them. So Snyder freaks out. This is this is the other time that Snyder was in the wrong. This is when he 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 freaks out at this point. And yeah, and he could have helped. He could have helped. Could've, and yeah. and this is that. That's his fault right there. Um, Scarp- so now at this point, Scarpelli, McBride, and Collins are in the room. They try to seal the hatch. Scarpelli eventually does seal the hatch. They She gets close to it and seals it. And as it's closing, the room's flooded up to their waist. You see the tail of the monster slip in. And I think at this point moving forward, th- so this whole room it's not as big as I think you would want it to be when they're writing the script. And one of the biggest complaints that I think people have when they watch this movie is that like how could this creature be in this room without people knowing, you know? And my only pushback is, because I think they're right, truly I think they're right, my only pushback is the creature is kind of thin, like it's kind of flat even though it's big. So I'm thinking it's just really low to the ground, but it is still like 15 feet long. How would you not see it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's this major suspension disbelief moment in the movie. It, yeah, it is, and it, but it is only one of the few times that, that I, you know. It's also at this point, too, there's like 20 minutes left in the movie. Yeah, there's, yeah, we're, we're, so. We're barreling uh, to the end. You know, it, it it's not much to gripe at, because up until this point, the movie's been pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Completely agree, my friend. McBride and Collins make it to the exit, but Scarpelli's kind of like stuck where she is, you know, and the creature's coming uh, coming at her, and unfortunately, she, she gets eaten, and it's weird because you don't really see it. She kind of gets dragged underwater, and at, at one hand, I'm like, I wish I saw this, but on the other hand, I'm like, it's well done, you know, seeing her get dragged under the water like that. I like it. I like that they yeah. didn't, you know, they left it a mystery. I, it sucks that she got eat, she got killed, though, man. Well, she broke the rule. She talked about what she's going to eat when she gets... That's that's true. Very true. And what she's gonna do? She asked the question. She yeah. shouldn't have asked. That's you are a hundred percent correct. And uh, like as Scream says, there are rules to this. So they get to the door, but it's locked. Um, outside, we see Snyder sort of standing there in fear. Norris comes running up because she hears the banging on the door, and she like looks at Snyder. She's like, "What are you doing?" And then she goes runs to the door to unlock it. McBride and 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 Collins enter the the main room, and then Snyder just gets right up into. Uh, I'm sorry, McBride gets right up into Snyder's face, and they start fighting and everything. But then the creature starts banging at the door, so they have to go back to it and uh, and seal it and secure the door so i like uh first of all i like that how uh mcbride beat the shit out of him called him out for being a little bitch it's pretty funny yeah and then what happens later when he actually gets him in a in a headlock 
it, it looks very realistic. Well, that's that's this scene. That's this right. Yeah. So he goes right into his face. I think Snyder does something. Oh yeah. Oh no no yeah. The, he, he gets the shot. He, he, there mm-hmm. is yeah. There, there are multiple heads coming up. Yeah yeah it's yeah. I know up. what you mean. Yeah. And I'm I'm with you, dude. I like these things, and that's this is what I like about Snyder. He's not a perfect character. I don't think he's wrong when when he's not wrong, but he's also. Not right either all the time. That's what makes him fucking a great fucking character. Also coupled with Miguel Furs, amazing acting. Amazing. It's just too bad that he has to be the, the he's got to be the one to take the brunt of everything. 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 Poor guy. So Norris asks Snyder for a status on the reactor. He says it's going to blow in four hours. Snyder says uh, the escape pod is their only shot. McBride says if they don't decompress, it'll be suicide. We'll burst like a bunch of ripe melons. Well, so you know that's coming soon. Yeah. Uh, that's like screenwriting 101 right there. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Norris says they are going to have to go down there and finish repairing the decompression bay. Norris tells them to get whatever weapons they can find to fight the creature while she goes to stitch up Van Gelder. We get a short scene of Snyder, McBride, and Collins fighting about, you know, whether or not weapons will kill it. McBride gives Snyder shit for leaving leaving his post when Richardson was killed. Snyder says, you know, he, he owns up to it. I actually like this. I, I God damn it, I love you, Snyder. Snyder owns up to it. He goes, I was terrified, man. Like, I wasn't thinking, yeah. you know, um, but we're all terrified, you know. But Colin says we're all terrified. McBride says, okay, Snyder, I'm going to need your help on something, okay? So he's like, it kind of ends the discussion with that. Um, cut to Norris patching up Van Gelder. Uh, Norris asks what the creature is. Van Gelder says it must be some kind of uh, arthropod, but very big. Nothing he's ever seen before. It might be one of Scarpelli's cave dwellers. He doesn't know if they can kill it. Back in the mess room, McBride, Collins, and Norris are loading three shotguns. I like how I like how uh, um, Collins knows how to handle it better than than Snyder does you know oh, it's funny it's it's so funny yeah it is and I, I apologize it's not McBride's Collins and Norris it's McBride Collins and Snyder and Snyder can't really do it right but but Norris does which is great because like we said Norris was is a Navy seal and that's that's what I'm sorry Collins is a Navy seal yeah yeah Norris and, and Van Gelder, they finally meet them in there. They brought shark darts from the escape pod. Van Gelder asks what, what this does, and he's like, I'm unfamiliar with this. Uh, they said they are, it's a spear that's loaded with a CO2 cartridge and that injects air and makes the area punctured explode. Snyder, he's like, Snyder looks at one of the cartridges, like, this thing's expired six months ago. I'm not going to fucking deal with that. And uh, I like how Collins takes the spear, pokes it into the seat that he's sitting on, and it makes the seat, like the plastic seat top, blow up real big. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. All right. So they got to do this. They open the door to the decompression bay and head in. The whole room is filled with waist high water. McBride throws these little, these th- like a, a packet of strobe lights into different parts of the of the room, you know. And then Snyder's like, "Like, what are you doing that for?" McBride goes, "You don't get it, Snyder. Light means lunch." So they're basically creating a diversion. Doesn't really do anything, to be honest with you. No. The team moves slowly through the flooded room. 
Snyder has his shark dart ready. Van Gelder and so Van Gelder, Collins, and McBride have the shotguns. Snyder has the shark dart, and so does Norris has a shark dart as well. Van Gelder weirdly gets spooked by one of these strobe things, even though he literally just saw McBride throw it. That was kind of stupid. So he shoots it, then everyone fucking lights it up and shoots it, and the creature never even appears anyway. So I'm like, yeah. eh, scene, th- th- that little beginning part of this scene's a little weak. It's weak. I mean, like, does this thing shrink? Yeah. Does it have, does it, it's like, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> so again, we're back in that room. It's just not big enough to, be- I mean, it can hide this thing but you would easily walk into it at some point because the room is just not that fucking big unfortunately it's like honestly a bigger set would have made this movie just so so much better but but we already love it though the deep blue sea set that's that was a big ass fucking set and a big piece of crap movie i love that movie so (laughs) fuck you oh man (laughs) Rennie Harlan, baby, our boy, I remember man. when he was promoting it at Fangoria. This is going to be better than Jaws. It is Jaws for this generation. Did, did he sing Deepest Bluest? My hat is like a shark's fin. No, he said, baby shark, doo, doo, doo. No. <laughs> the ba- oh, the baby shark thing. I found out about that because uh, apparently that was very big on the uh, Nationals when the Nationals won the uh, – World Series or something. One of the, oh, really? the players used it, the... It's an old camp song. Yeah. It's an old camp song, dude. So Too bad it got... Yeah, anyways. So they, so they light up the bait with a shotgun, and the creature doesn't even wake up for that. But okay. Nope. So McBride dives under the water and starts repairing the line. He kind of pops back up. He's like, I'll, I'll be ready in a second. I'm about done, right? They're all waiting and everything. Uh, he dives back down, comes back up, resurfaces. Right when he resurfaces, Collins is like... McBride, look out! <laughs> it was kind of bad. Uh, the creature, you know, shoots up, like shoots up into the air. Collins fires her shotgun at it. Snyder spins around with his shark dart just as Van Gelder fires his shotgun, and the recoil kind of pushes him back into the needle, causing his chest to explode. Snyder screams and runs. This is fucking awesome, dude. This is one yeah. of the best fucking scenes in the movie. And if you watch it, it is played out like that. And it took me to the point of like breaking down the movie to actually see it. Snyder does not puncture him until he fires his gun and moves back into Snyder's dart. Yeah, totally. Totally. Again, it's not, his fault. not Snyder's fault. Completely but he probably should have been a little bit more careful with that dart. Really cool effect, by the way, of, of, of Van uh, Gelder's oh, chest. Can exploding. you imagine, though, uh, like the deaths that happen in this movie? None of them are pain-free. I, like they're all just so painful. Can you imagine your heart just expanding and then popping? Well, and, oh. and, and the sheer fact that he had like like five seconds to comprehend it. Like he yeah, like, looks oh, down no. at it as this giant ball of air is welling up in his chest and he looks at snyder like like what the what and then boom you're dead ah, and you're dead i oh. i hate the fact that he had to live with that thought for like five seconds that's what yeah. fucking fa- terrifies me yes yeah, terrible snyder snyder runs out of there um you know he yeah but i do love that screams like yeah he just screams he's and a runs. meltdown he's like have a meltdown yeah. 
Yeah. So they all eventually make it out uh, out of the room, and then once they do, they turn their gaze on Snyder because someone says, did you see what happened to Van Gelder? Snyder starts throwing shit around around the mess hall. He's like, it's not my fault. You know what happened to Van Gelder is not his fault. Snyder starts yelling that he did everything by the book. He's like pounding his chest. He says, Van Gelder backed into his shark dart, which is true. He did. Um, he's like, you blame me for killing for, for blowing up the missiles? That was procedure. You blame me for killing uh, Richard Spikelli, like, he's just freaking out, you know? And rightfully so. I mean, rightfully fucking so. He just watched a man's chest explode, you know? As he's freaking out, McBride comes up behind him and kind of, this is where he puts him in that chokehold, you know? And Dr. Norris takes out a needle from her bag and sticks it in him to sort of calm calm him down. He's like, no needles, no needles, you know? But right then, I love how he just looks at at, uh, Norris and then just crumbles in her arms crying. I, I like that. Yeah, it's a really, like, you get it. He's just, he's at, he's at his wit's end. Yeah. And he's the cause of everything in this movie. I mean, he is. Up until this point. He really is. He is. I mean, but that, that's the thing. Like, in most of these movies, this character is the cause of it. But it's also like, yeah, you know, they're idiots. But here, he fucking followed procedure. And I will, I will tout that for fucking ever. Hey, he's just following orders. Collins and McBride go to finish getting the escape pod ready while Nora stays and comforts Snyder. And she's like, no, no, go on. I'll, I'll meet you there. It's okay. Um, she says she'll meet up with them. While she's there for a few seconds, she's like, after they leave, she's like, tells Norris, she's like, okay, you know, Norris tells Snyder, um, she's like, I have to get food prepared for the trip, you know, and uh, so Snyder's sort of sitting there in the mess hall, and this is when his mind just snaps, and he starts, he starts thinking about killing, you know, uh, Van Gelder, about all that, you, you get shots again, you actually see it happen, and then we actually get a full like full-bodied apparition of Van Gelder basically being like, you killed me, motherfucker, you killed me. And, you know, and he, and so Snyder's freaking out. Then all of a sudden he just, he freaks out and screams and just runs for the escape pod. Yeah, uh, I guess that sedative didn't work. I, right? I'm, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think the adrenaline just punched right through it. Uh, Snyder, so the escape pod is in the middle of the command module. Uh, he kind of, cli- you have to go up a ladder. Snyder climbs up the ladder to the escape pod and locks himself in there. Norris climbs after him, up the ladder after him, yelling and everything, um, and, and telling them that if he doesn't decompress first, he'll die. As the airlock door is closing, it's about to fucking cut her in half, too. I was like, oh, my God. Every time I watch it, I get freaked out by the scene right here. Yeah, it's so intense. Because McBride just basically jumps up and pulls her down the ladder before the the airlock just seals and crushes her. That That was a very tense little scene right there. Yeah, for sure. Snyder says, fuck it. And hits the launch button. This causes the escape pod to explosively detach from the Deep Star 6. And it starts flooding the main room. McBride, Collins, and Norris escape into the med bay. Which is like over to the left of them. And the door is sealed behind them. McBride says he's like, I'm going to kill fucking Snyder when I see him. Norris says he's already dead. I love, I love that. And she looks up. And then we get this awesome fucking sequence of Snyder riding in the escape pod as it's ascending to the surface and then he starts his his hands start bleeding so first off by the way the nose shot of the nose coming out of his uh, the blood coming out of his nose um how they did that was 
Miguel Fur basically put his head upside down. They dumped a bunch of that blood in there and they started rolling. And then so he flipped his head up. So he basically sat up and then started the scene. And that's how it started rolling out oh, of wow. his nose. Okay. Um, all the other effects were just the normal bladders and, and you know, tubes going up. But all of this effects are amazing. And they keep cutting back to him and he's just getting worse and worse. And all of a sudden he just like pops and you don't see it but honestly i don't think you need to because i think it's just as effective if not more so without seeing it yeah for some reason as a kid i remembered it being felt more intense because it's still really intense but i remember for some reason I, i thought like there was an extra scene of him like his head more bulbous but it's bulbous enough and then uh yep you just you know what happened to him I don't know if maybe you were, maybe you saw things, but there there were extra prosthetics that they were going to make his head blow up more. And maybe they showed them in Fangoria. So maybe your mind just pieced it in there, but there were effect shots that they wanted to do. And I think they attempted to do, but didn't make it into the final scene here. That makes sense. So you might've seen that in something like, you know, remember like Gorehound back in the day, like Gorezone. Yeah. Like all the non Fangoria stuff, but I'm with you, dude. I, it's so effective, man. This whole scene was fucking effective. Oh, totally. Um, we are now like in the last like 10 minutes of the film, basically. Back in Medbay, McBride is at the computer. He tells them the main room is flooded and they have three hours and 45 minutes until the reactor blows. Barely enough time to decompress. We see that the med bay is also connected to the decompression chamber and an outer hatch so they can get out that way. Uh, McBride asks Collins to marry him. She said, uh, it's a nice little moment. She says that she will if he gets her out of this. Uh, so, so, of course, now he's motivated, right? <laughs> so McBride decides to swim through the command center and to the other sub and, and get the other sub and go back and grab them, basically. He leaves Med Bay by going through this, like, double door thing. First door, dry door that goes in this little, like, two-foot-wide a little space in between, and then that has to flood because the other side is is flooded. So he swims through uh, the main area, and uh, back in Med Bay, we get this interesting scene of Collins praying to God. Yeah, and odd. Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering like who like was this is is Sean Cunningham like is he religious like it was weird it kind of came out of nowhere you know. Yeah, I'm not, I mean... I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not shitting on anyone that's religious. I'm just saying, like, it just, it came out of nowhere with her. I'm not shitting on it either, but, you know, in I, religion was always a bigger deal back then. But uh, it is an odd scene. Yeah. I feel like they pro- there's, there's, you know, cut scenes that they that probably expo- expanded upon this, this, this stuff. To maybe show that she was a bit more religious or something. Yeah. And she's basically just praying, please let uh, McBride make it. Please let my baby live, basically. McBride makes it to the other sub and starts heading back. Back in Med Bay, Collins and Norris hear something bang on the door. They think it's McBride and open it, but water comes rushing in. Collins gets pushed to the back of the room, back near the decompression chamber and everything, uh, while Norris swims up closer to it and closes the door. Now they're in a bit higher than waist-high water, and the the two characters are separated by the entire room. Norris tells Collins to get into the decompression chamber behind her. She's like, it's in here with us, isn't it? I know it. I know it's in here. 
but the, unfortunately the water is kind of too dark to see the creature or anything like they do a couple shots of the water and you can't see anything all of yeah. a sudden the creature pops up and goes for collins but norris turns on her like her surgery lights you know like the those big doctor lights you know or whatever she turns those on to get the creature's attention then she starts turning she starts the defibrillator turns the defibrillator on and jumps on the back of the creature and starts fucking shocking it like you said earlier norris might low-key be the fucking hero of this film it, it, you know she dies but she's the fucking hero yeah, I mean, she she's the only one that actually sacrif- literally sacrifices herself. Exactly. Of course, the dialogue right before uh, uh, this all this happens is Norris is is telling Collins like, "Oh, just come visit my place in New Hampshire, my my farm yeah. in New Hampshire. Oh, I can't wait to smell smell the mountain air." And I'm like, "God damn it! Just keep your mouth shut and you won't fucking die." Because <laughs> now you and she's gonna die. You signed your own death warrant. Yeah. Um. So now we see McBride is actually at the, the the door of the decompression chamber. By the way, it needed 30 seconds to kind of prep for the door to open. So Collins is sort of still screaming and standing there and everything. Uh, the door eventually opens and he pulls Collins in. And just then the creature kind of like has Norris by a, by a chokehold and everything. And she's like... Fuck you. I love this. I'm going to go out hard. She fucking sticks the defibrillators into the fucking water and just kills herself. We think kills the creature. I mean, everything explodes. It's, you know, the creature's getting fried. It's it's awesome. She goes out like a fucking rock star. Sure does. Cindy Pickett. Yeah, dude. Badass. Fucking Ferris Bueller's mom, man. And we even have a shot of the creature like floating, going underwater, you know, like floating underwater. Um, so now, now McBride and Collins are in the decompression chamber. There's a bit of a time jump now that they're they're kind of sleeping there, and we see the timer on the the computer screen saying that there's eight minutes left to the reactor explosion. But just then, the alarm for the decompression chamber goes off, so they know that oh oh shit, let's go, let's go right now, and we're ready, let's go. So they get into the sub ready to go i mean the sub is pretty much ready to fucking go they get into it start heading to the surface as they're heading to the surface again another aliens callback we see the deep star six explode behind them and then the shock waves hit them there's a little bit of tension you know the stabilizers are out are we gonna make it but they they i think they blow another ballast or something I don't, yeah. know, I don't even know what a ballast is, but, you know, sounds right so, to me. It sounds right to me. <laughs> exactly. Like the movie. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about, but it makes sense. <laughs> so it makes sure. sense to me. Sure. So, th- so basically, they, they head to the surface. It's all it's all good. At the surface, um, they release this, like, life raft thing, and uh, it, like, self-inflates and everything. Collins gets in. Um, McBride's about to get in, and the creature pops up and attacks, like, kind of pops up in between them and that space in between them. Not going to lie. Both times, even I, I know it's coming. Both times I jumped, and I that is that is a testimony to how that is a testimony to Sean Cunningham's craftsmanship. Yep, I jumped too. Yep, it got me. It got me both times, both fucking times, man. Collins sort of gets knocked into the water. She climbs back into the raft. McBride has to kind of climb back into the sub because the creature's attacking. He pops the fuel reserve lid, causing the the fuel to sort of go everywhere. 
he gets a chance to get out of the sub and he takes a flare gun with him. And so now Collins is a bit further. She's like floated away from all the chaos and uh, she sees what's happening. The creature's still there on the ship. This is very much the Paramount uh, lot. Um, have you ever been to Paramount where, where they have that area with the water and then that painted background right yeah. there? Yeah. yeah. And they did it in the Truman Show as well. Once so. you know it, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. And this yeah. that's definitely where this is right here. They're not out in the ocean. They are at no. Paramount Studios. Um, so she knows what he's going to do. She sees everything that's happening. She's like, no, McBride. He looks back at her. He takes the flare gun. He shoots it into the the gasoline that's in the water. And things start, like, getting the fire starts going up. You know, like, no, McBride. And then, boom, a giant explosion happens, killing the creature. Boom. Camera sort of lingers on Collins for a few minutes. And she's watching and then behind her pops up uh, McBride, a la fucking um, Hooper, you know, from Jaws. He, he miraculously, uh, you know, survived, and they get into the raft together, and that's it. Bada-bing, bada-boom, Deep Star With six. his construction boots on yep. and his acid wash jeans. Yep. Welcome to 1989. <laughs> Deep Star Six. I mean the ending. The ending's a little weak. Yeah. Uh, it's a little weak. Yeah, a little weak. A little and, bit. And it's Not almost, too much though. And it's pretty much the exact fucking ending of Leviathan. Yeah, which is really weird. Yeah, it is. But 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 we now know that those two movies kind of have things in common. Yeah. So who knows what was going on behind the scenes? Um, you know, someone had an idea and they're like, it got kind of twisted and turned in another direction, but. Outside of the last three minutes of the movie, I'd say, and, and the and the first five for me uh, of 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 you know stock footage, uh, so eight minutes excised. The, the other ninety one minutes of the movie, I was more than happy, more than happy. Yeah. I think it was just it's an excellent underwater film. Uh, is it horror? Is it thriller? Is, is it, it adventure? Adventure? Uh, yes, yes, and yes. Mm-hmm. Is it sci-fi? No. I always qualify sci-fi. It's got to be an alien, an alien from another world. That That's what constitutes or a creation through science, I suppose. It's, I don't know. It's Th- funny that you like a- mention alien because the tagline for this movie is not all aliens come from space, and yeah. which is weird because it's not an alien. It's so, not an alien. But they it's wanted a- to tap into that keyword right there. Totally. It's a prehistoric creature. Yeah. It's a prehistoric creature. You know, but that's what that's what those author art what do you call them? Arthro- Ar- <clears throat> arthropods. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Which are which are prehistoric creatures. Yeah. You know. And uh, but anyways, shit. I loved it, dude. And and again, I appreciate you bringing it to the the pad for uh platform, the plaid form. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> the missile plaid form. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 fun, man. Yeah. Like the watching it again, I highly recommend it. Kino, dude, like Kino's great. I I have a I have a stack of movies in my queue, just personal movies that I want to get from them because uh, you, and I'm you, like, up. Oh, you know what's ironic? Kino. You know it's funny. Like so so you have I think you have two more movies uh from me still. 
I think both of them are also Kino movies. Like, and it's just, you know, because you open, or, or Bodie, your son, picks them, so there's no rhyme or reason. It just kind of no. loaded up like this, but I think your other two movies are also Kino films as well. Oh, I shit, know at I least better... one of them is, which is hilarious. I, I have a feeling I know what it is, but you, we'll, we I, shall see. I think you do. I, th- I think you do. But yeah, I'm dude. i pretend I, like I don't know. I'm with you, man. Like, like I, this is one of those movies that I do remember fondly, um, and I can say that I liked better than Leviathan, and I know that because I watched them both last year back to back. This is my favorite of the two, um, and I think it's because, dude, the cast in this is amazing. I think that the directing is expertly crafted i think that the the special effects are great i think the miniature work is outstanding i think really the only thing holding this movie back is a few million dollars right like like i think this if this movie had a cool 10 million dollar budget i think it would have been so much better i think all they needed to do was make the space a little bit bigger in that decompression room and that's it. Like, that's all they need to do to make this, like, an A-fucking movie. But as it is, it's a solid, fun, you know, B-film. You know, it's a solid, fun, underwater monster movie, man. And I don't think we wouldn't have awesome movies like Underwater without this. Like, this and Leviathan too. I mean, come on. We, it, it, Leviathan earns its place in history, as does Lords of the Deep, as does The Abyss. I mean, 1989 is a remarkable fucking year for film with all, all these. The year we went to the water. I know, man. I, and it makes you wonder, like, I almost want to know what happened a couple years prior to that with in Hollywood? Did did someone make like a, a water tank that you could start filming in? I don't. I want to know what happened as to why four water movies came out in 1989. Yeah, there's got to be a reason. I'm sure there's there's a reason for it. The same reason why you know certain buddy cop movies all came out at the same time, right. or you know kid kid action movies like you know it's like you almost tap into some kind of like like zeitgeist thing and it's just there's no rhyme or reason for it you know but um but i i love these underwater monster films and probably because i grew up i was a huge fan still am of Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea that was one of the movies i would watch a lot as a kid um it was like one of my non-star wars like all the ones we talk about that are like my favorite ones it was like in the it was in the b category you know yeah but but i loved it i and i love underwater monster films and i think that this is just expertly crafted but it's weird because it's not an underwater monster film for most of the movie so but we hope you guys enjoyed this review we hope you guys honestly if you like the movie go buy the kino uh, Blu-ray. I assume you probably already have if you like the movie. So, but you should because it's really good. Totally agree. Pick it up. And if you like fun, nostalgic podcasts with a soundtrack spin, check out my pal Zach's two-dollar late fee. With also with my pal Dustin. I'm friends with Dustin too. I can say that. Yeah. He. Yeah. He. He's. He's like. I don't know how you guys sustain three hours. But <laughs> and, uh, but I know. And, and Mazel tov. The, and the the funny thing is like. I we are never going to do the legend of Billy Jean unless we can have Dustin and you on there. So I want desperately to do that movie on pad, but I want Dustin on it because you two, but the the two of you introduced me to that movie via two dollar late fee. Well, I have a feeling we're going to introduce you to more movies as time goes on because Dude, we you cover, always do, buddy. We cover you mainstream, but also like pretty obscure stuff too, where you're like. Oh, I want to check that out. In fact, in fact, uh, we just 
interviewed, we just talked about the movie No Retreat, No Surrender, and we followed that up with uh, the uh, with an interview with the star of No Retreat, No Surrender, Kurt McKinney, and he was a trip. He worked obviously with Jean Claude Van Damme. He tells a hilarious JCVD story um, that. I you just got to listen to the interview to hear the story because that story alone is worth the amount of time uh, listening to this interview. So, uh, yeah, we're a nostalgic podcast. We we cover a movie and a song from the movie. And then we talk about the year that it came out. Um, It's funny that you mentioned No Retreat, No Surrender, because when I was in college, um, actually community college in Maryland, there was a film program there as, as, as well. And one of my producer teachers was one of the producers on No Retreat, No Surrender, I think two or three. And okay. I remember when he said that, I was like, oh, that's weird, because like that's a movie I actually know. And this was way before IMDb. This was back in 1997, I believe, or something like that. And um, he was the one that basically, his class taught me how to break down a script and uh, uh, basically budget it and schedule it and all that kind of stuff. You know, what a producer does. That's what a, a producer does with the film. Um, and I, that was a very interesting class. But he also had uh, some stories to tell about, like, working on it and, and, you know, working with the stunt coordinators and stuff. It was a very interesting class. Something I was not expecting to happen at Montgomery County Community College in Maryland. Well, it's a, well. Uh, Kurt talks about why he didn't do No Retreat, No Surrender Part 2 and Part 3. Okay. And how it kind of derailed his career. So uh, it, it's an interesting, it's interesting. It's funny you bring that up. So, yeah, we've got a ton of upcoming guests that will blow your mind. Uh, and... We have a lot of fun, especially on our Instagram page. We're just we're just trying to do something different, be a little more, I don't know. Uh, you know, we do these fun videos and fun birthday shoutouts, and it's very interactive. So uh, you know, go on over to our two dollar late fee IG page. We're not a part of the BFOP family, but in a way, we are if you think about it, because I'm a part of it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, go check us out. And and speaking of checking things out, and and Matt McCoy's blue beautiful blue eyes being in Seinfeld, uh, Seinfeld. <laughs> serenity now <laughs> Corey also hosts a podcast called caught right caught right caught right <laughs> isn't that right dude we are a weekly Seinfeld podcast after show and I think so we're about uh, eight episodes into season six right now so we're like 90 episodes in we are actually barreling towards Seinfeld episode 100 which is a clip show and we're still trying to figure out how to tackle the clip show but Adam and I are having a lot of fun. It's a it's a good time. We've actually started tackling Curb Your Enthusiasm on the Cartwright Patreon. It's it's a lot of fun, man. I love Cartwright and I love like like I like revisiting a show that I saw in order the first time when it came out, but after that, most of my viewings have been through syndication, so you kind of get your memory jumbled as to like yeah. when things happen. So it's kind of fun to rediscover like what sort of led to what and and how things sort of played out in order. And it gives me a new appreciation for it. And I'm not gonna lie, like the the idea or not the idea. It's it's not unique to us, but like I got that bug from when you and I watched a bunch of John Carpenter movies in order via his like discography. Like we watched them in order that he produced them, you know? And I thought that was such a cool thing. I've never 
ever done that with anybody else. I've never even attempted that before, and I thought that was so much fun. And it's really cool to to just to watch your favorite auteur or your favorite TV show, like watch it in order. So uh, check out Cartwright. Uh, I highly recommend checking out, you know, John Carpenter's movies in order if you've never done it. Um, and also check out our Patreon, like we've plugged multiple times in this episode. Um, we also have uh, another show on Patreon called Wrap Up After Dark. It's a monthly show that Zach and I do. It's kind of a freeform show. And uh, so you get that one for, for $2 a month, plus every episode of Podcast After Dark uh, ad-free, completely ad-free. And for $5 a month, you get everything in that tier, but you also unlock every single interview that we've done on the show and we have about 15 plus interviews over there people like tom matthews zach ward tony tempone diane, diane franklin, franklin brian usna tom holland i mean my god the list is impressive stephen jeffries he is a he's a person that does not do a lot of interviews and that was the first one that zach did so guys and gals we have some real real interesting people over there all telling great stories, all telling things that you might not have heard around before. So it's good shit. And, you know, obviously you'll help us out. You'll keep the, the show up and running. And uh, But we know things are kind of tight right now. What with, you know, we're coming out of COVID quarantine and a lot of people don't have jobs. So we totally fucking get it. A free way to help out your, your boys, Corey and Zach, at Podcast After Dark is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And at this point, it's unbelievable that we have like 55 five-star reviews on there and one one-star review you know what i don't even give a shit it's it's crazy that we don't have like a bunch of like there's no fours or anything it's all five so i think that one person they thought one was the best that's what i think that's i'm gonna i'm gonna think that too exactly exactly so as always we'll catch you on the dark side Join the Podcasting After Dark Patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus, you get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad-free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. 